Mishabov has a dual identity um, to it. It is on the one hand the day, which is a Taina Sibor, patterned after the prototypical Taina Sibor, which is Yom Kippurim, of course, and therefore the five Inuyim that apply in Yom Kippurim apply on Tishabov too. <coughs> and that is more than you would typically find with Avelus. tells us, and Avelus is permitted to wash his hands and his face in cold water. It's prohibited from doing it in hot water. And Yom Kippur and Antishabov are prohibited from doing so even in cold water. You can only wash up to the uh, knuckles. We're prohibited from washing even in cold water because Antishabov, just like on Yom Kippur, because in a certain sense it's a tinus sebo. At the same time, the Gemara says in Misef, this tinus, everything that is noeg by an avel is noeg on Tishabov too. So Tishabov has a second dimension to it. Not only a tiny seaboard, but it's a day of Avelus, which is the reason why um, prohibited from uh, learning Torah. On Tishabav, just like the Avos, prohibited from learning Torah. That's why many Rishayim, it's actually Machlaikas Rishayim, many Rishayim hold, you don't put on Tefillin on Tishabav. We have a compromise, we put it on by Mincha, but it's Machlaikas Rishayim, whether or not you should be wearing Tefillin on Tishabav, like the Avel, be a Mishin, who doesn't wear Tefillin. So on the one hand, it's a day of Avelos, on the other hand, it's a day of uh, a Tainus Sibor. However, what's troubling is that if it is a day of a Tainus Sibor, the Ramam tells us at the beginning of Hilchus Tanius, it's often quoted during COVID, that uh, a day of Tainus Sibor is a day of Tefillah. It's a day of uh, crying out to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, um, as part of the mitzvah, as part of the, the nature of a Tainus Sibor is in order to encourage us to do tshuva and to daven towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. However, uh, Tishabov, while it is a Tainus Sibor, we don't um, accentuate tefillah like we do on Yom Kippur, and we spend the whole day davening. As you would imagine, you were doing a Tainus Sibor. Other days, a Tainus Sibor, we say Slichis. Shavas Matavos, we said Slichis. On Tishabov, the tour actually quotes one view that there is Slichis uh, on Tishabov, but we don't paskin, like the Torah quotes in the name of Rabbi going, we don't paskin. Like that, we don't say slichus on Tishabov. Different than every other Tainus Sibor. Every other Tainus Sibor, the Gemara says in Brachas, they would have a Shemona Esrei that was extended. They would have 24 Brachas in the Shemona Esrei. And at regular Tainus Sibor, they would have a Ni'ilah. Ni'ilah is an extra Tfilah. We only do it on Yom Kippur, but in the times of the Gemara, when they actually had real Tainus Sibor, they'd have Chavdalud Brachas, they'd have Ni'ilah. The Gemara says in Sechem, though, on Tishabov, we don't do that. On Tishabav, there is no Chavdalad Brachis. On Tishabav, there is no Ni'ilah. We pass on Tishabav, there is no Slichas. Why not? Where's this extra Tfilah? If Tishabav is a day that's a tiny seaboard, is a day that's supposed to channel us towards Tfilah, towards trying out to a Kaddish Baruch, where is the Tfilah? That's what, that's what a, tfilah, a, a tiny seaboard is all about. Where is the Tfilah? So Rekeach, the Mordechai, quote two explanations why there is no Slichas. Why is there no Ni'ilah? Why is there no Chavdalad Brachis? So one opinion is, Mordechai, is because, after all, Tishabov is called a Mayed. Tishabov is uh, a tiny seaboard, but at the same time, it's kind of a yontif, as the Pesach said in the Middle of Eicha, Kuroga, it's a day of Mayed. So there is no Slichas, because it's a day that's considered to be a Mayed. And that's problematic, it's troubling. How is it a yontif? Tishabov, after all, it's a day of Avelos. It's troubling. However, the Mordechai and the Rekeh are in another explanation. And that is based on the Pesach in the Middle of Eicha also. Gam Ezok ve... 
Ishaveya, even if we cry out, we plead with a Kaddish Baruch Hu, Sasam Tfilasi, a Kaddish Baruch Hu blocks our Tfilas. A Kaddish Baruch Hu is not interested in our Tfilas, on Tishabov. So therefore, there is no Slichis, there is no Chavdal Brachis, in the Shemona Ezra, there is no Ne'ila, because even though it is a tiny Sibor, Kaddish Baruch Hu is not interested in hearing our Tfilas, and therefore we minimize the Tfilas. Which could explain the Shulchan Aruch Paskin, we don't say Kaddish to Skabo after Kinnis, Usually after Slichas, uh, for, sure, for sure, we say a Kaddish to Skabel. Kaddish should accept our Tvilas, the Skabel. It's a lesson of Ausar. However, on, on Tisha B'av, we don't say, we don't say to Skabel. Why don't we say to Skabel? Kaddish is not interested in hearing our Tvilas on Tisha B'av. The regular Tvilas, yes, that gets through. So we say Kaddish to Skabel after the regular Shemana Esri. The extra Tvilas, though, that are unique to a tiny Sibar, the Slichas, the Chavdala Brachas, the Ne'ila, the Kaddish Tzkabe, we have to, Kaddish Baruch is not interested in hearing that on, on Tisha B'Av. It's, it's, Gam Ezag Vishaveh Sosom Tfilasi. That's what the Gemara says in Baal Metziah, B'yoyim Shechar Beis HaMikdash, Ninu Shari Tfilah. From the day the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, the gates of Tfilah have been closed, as the Pasuk says, Gam Ki Ezag Vishaveh Sosom Tfilasi. At the time of the Churm Beis HaMikdash, Time of the Torchecha, the Archaim Hakadosh quotes in the Pasuk of the Torchecha, "V'loy Ariach Bereach Michaychachem." The time of the Torchecha, Hakadosh Baruch was not interested in our Kabbalas. Hakadosh Baruch was not interested in our Tefilas. So that's why, even though it's a day of Tainus Eve, we don't have extra Tefilas. But why? Why is Hakadosh Baruch not interested in our Tefilas? Why is it Nineru Shari Tefila at the time that the Beis Hamikdash is destroyed? Doesn't Hakadosh Baruch always want our Tefilas? Why not? Why just because it's a day of Tainus Eve? We're supposed to focus on our relationship with Hakadosh Baruch Hu, davening to Hashem. How come on Tishbah, Kaddish Baruch is not interested in our tefillahs? Why is the gates of tefillah closed? So I think the answer is the following. That is because Tishbah is a day which is not just for Churban Beis HaMikdash, it's a day when many tragedies occurred. As the Mishnah tells us in Mesef, this time is five terrible things occurred on Tishbah. Of course, the hate of the Miraglim occurred on Tishbah, from which we were prevented um, from entering the territory itself for 40 years. We had to wander throughout the Midbar. We then the Chor, both the uh, by Svishin, by Shani, Betar was, uh, was taken captive uh, on Tisha B'Av, and that was the day also, of course, that Yushalayim was plowed over. But historically, there are many other tragedies throughout Jewish history that have also occurred on Tisha B'Av. Some claim that the first um, expulsion of Jews from a country in Europe in 1290 from England took place on Tisha B'Av. The Abar Benel, who's your side today, um, writes that the Spanish Inquisition in 1492 uh, concluded on Tisha B'av. That was the last day that the Jews you know, had to make their way out. Whether historically it's accurate is discussed, but that's what the Abarbanel claims, is that it coincided um, with Tisha B'av. So Tisha B'av is not just a day of mourning the Churm Beis HaMikdash. Many Jewish tragedies throughout Jewish history took place, took place on Tisha B'av. But this, of course, is punctuated by the Gemara Masech of Sanhedrin, which we mentioned in the past. The Gemara tells us that once there was a woman who was crying for the loss of her child by Elenu. Rabbi Gamliel came over, and he cried together with her. However, the Medrash tells us, what was he crying about? Not about the loss of her child. The Medrash, the Gemara doesn't say this. The Gemara quotes the same episode, and this part is missing. But in the Medrash, Echad says he was crying over Chorban Beis Amikdash. He's crying over the loss of Beis Amikdash. What does the loss of her child have to do with Chorban Beis Amikdash? Why was he crying over her? Chorban Beis Amikdash, well, she's crying over her child. And many, many explain that it's because every tragedy that occurs to uh, the Jewish people, both as a community, as a collective, as well as individuals, is connected somehow to the Churm Beis HaMikdash. Everything can be traced back to that. 
that he said, if a person, you should have kavana by all the brachas of Shemona Esri. But he said, if you can only have kavana by, you know, one bracha, or if you had to, you know, accentuate one bracha more than the rest, so what should it be? So should it be Rifa'enu? Should it be Baruch Aleinu? So the Chavitz Chaim said, no, it should be Hamashiyash Chinasa Litzion, because if the Beis Hamikdash would be back, all the other problems would solve themselves. Everything could be traced back um, to the Beis Hamikdash. Korban Beis Hamikdash. Which is why, historically, there were many who were opposed to the establishment of a separate day to commemorate the Holocaust. Uh, Yom HaShoah and Chedesh Nisan, which was decided because somehow it was related to the day of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. That was why that date was chosen. But there were many, historically, of course, who were opposed to it. When I asked the Briskarov about this in 1943, before the establishment of the state, the Briskarov responded over here, you'll see in the sheet of... Uh, Items, Ois Aleph. This is a safer biography, an earlier biography of the Biskarov. It's since been outdone numerous times. So they want, they asked the Biskarov this took place in 1943 about the establishment of a day of Yom HaShoah to commemorate the Holocaust, and he felt that this should not be done. Because in the Kina about the Crusades, the Balakina tells us, Ein Lahoisif Moed Sheva if the day of the, the Crusades are also commemorated on Tishabov because every Jewish tragedy throughout history can be traced. Uh, to the Chorim Beis HaMikdash, just connect the Chorim Beis HaMikdash, and therefore we shouldn't add a day to the Jewish calendar. Rav Moshe is the same thing over here in the Igris. Moshe in 1982, <coughs> 40 years later, Salvation held the same way as well. Many held it should not be separate, uh, established another day, because really the day for it is Tisha B'Av, and they quote the Balakin, Ki Eim Ahoysif Moed Think Menachem Begin, when he took over as the Prime Minister of Israel in 1977, the day of Yom HaShoah was established in Israel as an official day on the calendar in the 50s. Menachem Begin was opposed to it. So in the 70s, he wanted to make Yom HaShoah on Tisha B'Av. Why he felt he was opposed to it, but he also felt that everything should be established, you know, should be uh, connected with Tisha B'Av. Why? 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 Why are we so stingy? Why can't we make an... And I think it is important to have another day on the calendar educationally, to teach our children about it, they have to be taught about it, that the day on the calendar does help with that. It was, of course, important survivors have a day to tell their stories. There are other benefits, perhaps, to having a day which is set aside in the calendar to discuss the Holocaust. But fundamentally, as religious Jews, we mourn the Shoah on Tisha B'Av. That's the day they set aside for mourning. Why? Why? Why, why are we so stingy? Why can't we add another day? Maybe we're not entitled to, uh, to, to tamper with the calendar. And you know, if we, 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 we make this day, so, you know, about uh, on the calendar when people are going to make other days. Uh, I think it, it's more fundamental than that. It's because we understand that everything is connected to Churban Beis HaMikdash. Everything is connected to Churban Beis HaMikdash. Why? Because what we're mourning in the Churban Beis HaMikdash is not the loss of a building, or multiple buildings, or one mountain. That's not what we're mourning. So if it would be, then it'd be hard to explain how everything is connected to that one building. We're not mourning the loss of a building. That's not what we're mourning. We probably politically somehow could build that building again if we, there was a will and a desire to do so. It, it, we're not mourning the loss of the building. What we're mourning is the, uh, in fact, in fact, the burning of the building might, exa- might in fact be the source of our nechama. At, at, at Mincha, we say nachim. We say nachim. So the Rosh asks, if nachim is the Oscars made on Ma'ira of Tisha B'av, meaning that's the Yom of Yom of Tisha B'av, we should say the Nevish Manesah of Tisha B'av. Why is it that we only say it by Mincha? Why is it that we only say it by Mincha? So the Rosh actually held, we should say it by all the Tefillahs of Tisha B'av, by Marib, by Shachris, 
By mincha, all of them we should say nachim. That's not our custom, though. We always say it by mincha. Why do we always say it by mincha? So the Ria Kodesh writes in the Shara Kavonis. The Ria Kodesh writes in the Shara Kavonis that it's because when the Beis HaMikdash really began to burn was when? From Chatzos Hayon. Of Tishabov. So he says, that's already in Nechama. What's in Nechama? That Akash Baruch took out his wrath, as the Medrash says, on the Eitzim Vavonim of the Beis HaMikdash. That all Akash Baruch did, instead of annihilating, removing Klal Yisrael, was he burned down a building. Akash Baruch vented his anger towards the Beis HaMikdash itself, that edifice, that's in Nechama to us. And now we know that the Jewish people will continue on and survive because the Beis Hamikdash is where Hakadosh Baruch Hu, you know, took out his anger. So the burning of the building itself is, in fact, the source of Nechama for us. That's we have Nechama at Chatzos Hayom a little bit on Tishabah because because Hakadosh Baruch Hu took out his anger on that building. So that's obviously not what we're mourning. That's not what we're mourning. What we're mourning is the Hester Ponim of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, our loss of our ability to connect to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, not the building itself. But the fact that Kadosh Baruch Hu's face is hidden from us, there is no Gilu Shechina in this world. We don't understand how Kadosh Baruch Hu is doing things. That, that Hester Panim, that distance is what we mourn. Is what we mourn on Tisha B'av. and that's represented by the Beis Hamikdash. And Medrash Tanchuma says, made famous by all the Chassidus Shesvarim, that in the Sabbath Kadosh Baruch Hu lios like Dira b'Tachtoinim. Kadosh Baruch Hu built the Mishkan because he wanted to dwell amongst us. V'shachanti b'Soicham, he wanted his uh, Shechina. His presence to be um, apparent in this world below. And the Beis HaMikdash is the medium, is the vehicle through which HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a Gilo Yishchina down here. That is the conduit, that's the highway that connects the upper world, the spiritual world, and the lower world, and the physical world, is through the Beis HaMikdash. We mentioned before that in, um, when uh, Yosef, reveals himself to his brothers, he cries on the neck of Binyam, and Binyam cries on his neck. And Rashi says, what were they crying about? <coughs> they were crying about Churim Beis HaMikdash and Churim Mishkan Shiva. How did they know? They were crying, how did Chazal know? They were crying about Churim Beis HaMikdash and Mishkan Shiva. So perhaps it's because Shem Yishmuel explains the name of his fathers, because they were crying in each other's necks. The Beis HaMikdash is referred to as a neck, as the Prophet says, in Tehillim, in Shira Shirim, Kimigel David Savarich. That the Beis HaMikdash is compared to a neck. In what way is a Beis HaMikdash compared to a neck? So Shem Yishmuel explains that it's because just like the neck connects the head to the rest of the body, the head, which is the intellectual part of the body, together with the physical parts of the body, which is the torso, so to the Beis HaMikdash is the connection between the spiritual world that is above and the physical world that is below. That's what Rabbeinu Bachir writes in Parashas Kukas, I believe, that um, Yerushalayim is Belosh and Rabin, like Oznayim, like Einayim, with two eyes, two ears, Therefore, it's in plural. Yushalayim is also in plural. Because it connects the upper world with the lower world. And what we're mourning on Tisha B'av is the severing of that connection. We no longer have a Gilo Shechina here. We have, we have Hester Panim. That's what we're crying about on Tisha B'av. If that's the case, now perhaps we understand why our tefillahs are not effective on Tisha B'av. What tefillah is about, what tefillah is about, and the reason why we dive in towards Yushalayim, we dive in towards the Makam HaMikdash, is our tefillahs are about, on a personal way, connecting everything that's going on in my life with the Rebbe Nishalayim. Attempting to make a dir b'tachtoinim within my own life, even in the absence of a Beis HaMikdash, attempting to connect and to reach that upper world through my tefillah. That's what tefillah is about. This is my Rao writes in the Guru Asylum. That's what tefillah is about. Tefillah is about tefillah. Tefillah is about connecting with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. I'm telling you, Rav in Zerah she says, Tfilah is Miloshon, Naftuvei Elohim Niftalti, which means that Kaddish Baruch Hu should bond me, and those bonds uh, with, uh, with the Divine. 
Naftuve lokim iftalti means like a psila, means that something is wrapped together, is bound up. And what tefillah is about is binding ourselves to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, it's baker to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, it's attaching ourselves, and therefore connecting our world with the world of the Rebbein Nishalelam. However, at the time of Chum and Beis HaMikdash, at the time of Hester Panim, that's impossible. We cannot break that barrier. We can't get to the other side of the partition. And therefore, at we can't connect to Kaddish Baruch Hu anymore. We can't get beyond the Hester Panim on We're trying, but we can't get there. And therefore, Tzvila is inappropriate on Tzvila. Salvatrix suggested, unbelievably, in his comments on the Kinnis, that perhaps that's why we remove the Parechas on Tzvila. Why do we have a Parechas in general? What are we hiding? What, what's hiding behind the curtain? So he suggests that perhaps the reason why we have a Parechas in general is to teach us a Kaddish Baruch Hu is hiding in our lives. He's there. He's hiding behind, like the, uh, the, the Wizard of Oz. He's hiding there. And we have to try and find that Kaddish Baruch Hu to peek beyond the partition to understand that Kaddish Baruch Hu is behind the events that are happening in our life. And that's what Tefillah is about. It's connecting our world with the lower world, with the upper world, with the world of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Life took place in the Beis HaMikdush, which was that portal between our world and the world of the Rebbe Shalom and the spiritual world. But on Tishbub, we can't get there. So we don't need the partition anymore because we can't get to the other side of the partition. And that's why Tfila, a little bit is inappropriate on Tishabov. We don't, we don't emphasize Tfila on Tishabov. And therefore, all Jewish tragedies are really related to this day because all Jewish tragedies, communally, personally, are Hestaponim. And all of the Hestaponim goes back to Churim Beis HaMikdash. And therefore, the Shoah as well, the Holocaust also belongs on Tishabov, the day of great Hestaponim. The day of great Hestaponim. There was a lot of reluctance, though, understandably, to mourning the Holocaust on Tishabov out of a fear, which is legitimate. One is that either the Kuhn Beis HaMikdash will swallow the Holocaust, we won't spend enough time on it. We have one kina At the end of the article, Kinnah, it was composed by Baba Barav and Shwab. But even that's not as established as the other Kinnahs. So in a certain sense, it gets lost, Chas in the shuffle, the tragedies of Klaus. So on the other hand, if we make it front and center, it was a fear that it would overshadow the Chorim Beis HaMikdash. The Holocaust would swallow the Chorim Beis HaMikdash. However, if we have this perspective, that in fact they're all one, there is not one swallowing up the other. It's all the same. It's all a recognition of, of Hester Ponin. Therefore, Salvation said in his explanation of the Kinnis, what we really have to do as we're reading the Kinnis is to understand that we're not reading about a building. We're not reading about one historical event. That's really... A re- that's not the point. The point is to understand that they're all connected to a Hester Panim. She writes over here on the third source on the, the sheet. This is not going to be more of a like a sheet. This is more of a companion. So I'll explain in a second. Yeah, but he writes over here on the third source. Of course, there is no doubt that on Tisha B'av we should recite a special kina for those who were killed by Hitler. In the last Chorban, we lost many more lives and in the destruction of the first and second Batei Mikdash. Of course, the six million Jews deserve to be eulogized on Tisha B'av, but we do so in the frame of reference of the kinos we already recite on that day. Instead of Vilna, we mention worms and mines. It does not make much difference because the, stu- the scenes described in the words of despair, mourning, and grief are all the same. One is in mind to remember the experience, the catastrophe, the disaster that occurred in the 40s of the 20th century in the frame of reference of what is described as having taken place in the 11th century. When we recite the kinos about spire mines and worms, about the communities that were destroyed, the people exterminating the Gdol Israel, we must remember that what is described there happened not only then, in 1906, but in the 1940s, I think it's 1206. Exactly the way the terror centers were destroyed in Germany in the times of the Crusades, 
the descendants of Torah destroyed in Poland and Lithuania during the Hitler period. It happened throughout Europe. We need to see these Kainas, not only as a eulogy for those killed, medieval German communities, but for those killed in Warsaw and Vilna, and the thousands of towns and villages, the millions of faithful, devoted, dedicated Jews lived a holy life, at sacred scene, a committed life, where they were simply exterminated. And he continues, and I want you to know that such experience, such events as are described in the Kinnis in gory detail took place not only in the 1900 years ago, but also during the Holocaust. Whatever happened here, whatever we are told about in the Chorim Beis this happened and was done with more cruelty and in greater magnitude numerically in Europe and in Western countries by the Nazis. He claims that in fact the Holocaust overshadowed what took place in the Kinnis. It's, it's an understatement of what took place. That same point is made by P.S.S. Nereb, which will come to bat in a second, where in his uh, drosha that he gave in the Warsaw Ghetto to the community there of Chizuk, and Hanukkah 1942, um, 1941, Tavshin Beis. So he, people were already questioning their Amuna, what was going on in the Warsaw Ghetto. So he says to them, I don't know why you're having questions in Amuna. It's true. They were suffering terribly. It's true, this happens only a few hundred years. But it has happened before. Who are we to ask to understand the ways of a Kaddish Baruch And to despair or to question or to have our Amuna wounded when we don't understand it. We don't understand the ways of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. This has happened before, so why is our Amunah being weakened now? Unfortunately, we suffered like this before. We've read about this in Nach. We've been told about this in the Kinnis of Tishabah. Our Amunah hasn't been shaken. And now, it's happening in our times, but this has happened before. Those who say this has never happened before, they're wrong. What we are experiencing has happened before. That is what he wrote in 1941, Hanukkah, Base. However, we'll explain in a second, he revisited his drushes that were from 1940 to 1942 and 1943. Mm-hmm. He was killed on Kiddush Hashem in November 1943. But before that, he edited his drushes. And he edited this in 1943. He writes, Hago. When I said this in 1941, the things that we had experienced had happened before. What we have seen since then, he never mentions them by name. Since what I've seen from 1943 to understand, there's not one historical event Kurm Beis HaMikdash. It's a time of Hester Panim that has spanned, unfortunately, throughout Jewish history on an individual level and a collective level. And I think it's important, perhaps, to do so through the lens of 
P.S.S. the Rebbe. P.S.S. the Rebbe, for those who are familiar, I apologize, was a well-established Rebbe before the war. He was born in the late 1880s to His father was a descendant from the Neymar Melech. His mother was a descendant from the Moir Vashemesh. That's where he got his name. Kwanam is Kalman Shapiro. It's named after the Moir Vashemesh. Meyuchas on both sides at the age of 20 became a Chsidosh Rebbe in Piazetzna, which was right outside of Warsaw, a southern suburb of Warsaw. In the 19, when he was 30 years old, in the 1920s, he started a yeshiva, a Chsidosh yeshiva in Warsaw itself, called Das Moshe. And it was at that time that he wrote the Chavis HaTalmidim, which was a pedagogic guide to teach Chsidus to Bachar. Because he saw that the hearts of the generation were getting lost, and he felt when I teach it, there was no organized way of teaching Chsidus. It was out there, and it was actually waning in popularity, and he felt that it was it needed resurgence, but it needed to be taught to children in an organized way, so he composed Chavis HaTalmidim. To that, there was a companion, uh, you know, a second volume called Hachsharis HaVrechim, which was actually in print in 1939 when the Germans invaded Poland and it was stuck at the printer. It was printed after the war, but it was stuck at the printer throughout the war. It didn't, uh, didn't see the light of day. That was Hachshar Sabrechem, a sequel for, the, for the, those Bachem a little bit older. <laughs> However, in, 1930, uh, in the 20s, he had a yeshiva in Warsaw and he continued as a rep. It was quite popular and the yeshiva had, had success. When the Germans invaded Poland in 1939, so he, uh, he stayed in Warsaw. He had, he had multiple opportunities to escape, and he refused to leave behind his flock. He refused to leave. And he stayed in Warsaw, and um, when the ghetto was created, a few months after the Germans invaded, he remained in the ghetto, and he said drushes. He said drushes not on a weekly basis, but from time to time. From uh, 1940, until the summer of 1942, when there was a deportation from the Warsaw Ghetto to Srebrenica, 1942, then he stopped saying drushes. He remained, but he stopped saying drushes. At that point, he was sent in 1943 after the ghetto, after the ghetto uprising, oh, oh. then the Germans closed down the camp, and he was sent to a uh, work camp, and he was, uh, he was killed in that work camp, Kedusha Shem, in November of 1943. And those drushes, though, that he gave, he wrote down meticulously, and he edited them after he stopped saying the drushes. Those drushes were buried in the Warsaw Ghetto together with other historical writings that were collected by other historians that were operating in the Warsaw Ghetto. There are numerous diaries of what took place that were buried in the ground. In 1950, as the Polish were cleaning out the ghetto, removing the debris, they found these milk cans that were buried in the ground and other metal boxes which contained all of the diaries and contained all of the writings, and they found this as well with a note that said, attention, whoever finds this, please send this to the rabbinical board, you know, committee in Warsaw, if it still exists. If not, please send it to my brother in Eretz Israel. And the, some of them were discovered, and how they ended up coming to print, it's a long story, but they came to print in the 1960s um, under the title of Eish Kodesh. It's not what he called it. He called it the very term, Mishnah Sazoam, the very term from the years of wrath, but the, they he used this phrase H. Kaddish numerous times, so they called the Sefer um, they called the Sefer H. Kaddish. Called the Sefer H. Kaddish. He obviously intended for people to under, to read this and to, to benefit from it. We mentioned on Shabbos that he has one drosh on Parshish Yisroi, where he discusses the obligation to learn Torah in all uh, phases of life, in all communities, in every community. We have to find ourselves throughout the Golas. That's why Torah is translated into seventy languages. 
Because wherever we find ourselves, whatever language we happen to be speaking, Torah is relevant to us. Torah is not only given for one social context, for one time period in history. It was given to us uh, at all times in whatever situation we happen to find ourselves. Whether we're at home, whether we're traveling, whether we're on vacation, Torah still continues to apply. That was the Josh he said in Parshish Yisrael in Tough Shinalim. However, he writes that that year, when, when he was saying this drasha, this Shabbos, as I'm saying this drasha, I'm saying it from hiding. Because it was a Jew who had escaped from a German prison and they were searching for, to punish him, and they were searching for the rabbi of the community in order to punish him together with everyone and you know, to make, a, to make a, a greater regime, to make a greater deterrent. So he had to go into hiding. So he said this drasha from hiding. Because he was hiding from the Germans and they were looking for him. So, we talked about on Shabbos. Why did he tell us that? Why was that an important piece of information? He doesn't give you history at all for each other. He never tells you what's happening behind the scenes. There are others who have pieced together what's happening behind these structures. He doesn't tell you. He doesn't mention the Germans by name. He doesn't give any historical context. But he writes, I think what he's teaching us is, even though I'm in hiding, the Torah is relevant to me. The lessons, the mitzvahs are relevant to me, and therefore I'm going to say a drasha. I don't know what audience he had, if any at all, but he said a drasha even while he was in hiding. And I think he's also teaching us that even when our Kaddish Baruch Hu is in hiding, we have to continue to perform the Torah and the mitzvahs, even at a time, even at a time of Hester Panim, Kaddish Baruch Hu was there as well. And he obviously intended these Ksavim to be read, and to be understood, and in that sense, I think it's a key a little bit for everything that he stood for and everything that, that, that he accomplished, to allow him to be our guide to through a little bit of the Hester Ponim that we mourn um, during the Kinnis. I think a lot of the lessons that go on in the Kinnis, he um, um, says in a very unique way, in a certain sense can, can deepen our appreciation for what Tishabov is about, for the Kinnis are trying to teach us, and to attempt to have a Muna, to attempt to have Bitochen, to attempt to have a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, even at the time of Hester Panim, even during the Churm Beis Hamikdash, even in the generations after the Holocaust, even at times when people are suffering Hester Panim in their own lives on a personal level, he uh, gives us a lot of chizok, um, his words, to be able to, to find the Kaddish Baruch Hu even in that setting. And I think that that's what the first Kina um, begins with. Because Shabbos starts Shavas. Shavas means it all stopped. But Shabbos is also, he ois he beinu bein. Shabbos is a, is a covenant between ourselves and the Kaddish Baruch Hu. It represents our unique relationship. And it's that relationship, but of course, we keep two Shabbos, will be Zayach and have a Geula, the Gemara says. And what the first Kina therefore mourns is the loss of that relationship. It's Shabbos. Shabbos means it stopped. Shabbos, Shabbos is our unique bond with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. It's unique to Kalal Yisrael, but it's Shabbos. It seems to have stopped. And the first Kina seems to lament that Hester point. Shabbos.
One of the dangers of approaching even the topic of the Holocaust, even in the context of Tisha B'Av, is um, typically our approach to tragedy and uh, suffering is I'll tell us what Averus precipitated the Chor Beis HaMikdash. We should look through our ways, and do tshuva. However, when discussing the Shoah, the Holocaust, it seems so enormous, so enormous, that it's just beyond comprehension. Beyond comprehension. In that sense, it's a little bit scary to even approach the topic because we don't know how to do so. It doesn't fit within the models that we've been given of There's a little bit of an aspect of that in every tragedy, even the things that are described here. It's hard to understand as a justification for all of this tragedy and suffering. It's hard, it's hard. It's hard to wrap our head around it. And it's that, um, that difficulty that we have in wrapping our head around it that, of course, is something that, that, haunted, um, that haunted the Yishchidosh. And I think that's something that also, that duality is reflected in this kina, in the word Eicha itself. Because on the word, on one hand, Eicha, which means how, Right. can also be read as Ayeka, where are you? As a reference to Marishan after he ate from the Eitz who says Ayeka. In a certain sense, that's a question to ourselves. Ayeka, where are we? How far have we strayed? What have we done? And it's a moment of self-reflection. Of uh, <coughs> Ayeka, how did this happen to us? This reflected in Tikkun Isaiah. Tikkun Isaiah says, that the word Eicha could be parsed into Eich Hashem. How could we have done this to a Kaddish Baruch Hu? The Megala Mukais continues. Fantastic. It says, 
Eichah's Eich Hashem, which led to Eichah Yashvah Adad, because how could we have done this to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, a Chait could be parsed as well, to Chait, Hey, uh, I'm sorry, Chait, the word Chita, which was the item that Adam Arishan ate from, according to many opinions in the Gemara, that the Eitz Hadas was actually a wheat stalk. Chita is Chait, Hey, was a Chait to Hashem, the original sin of Adam Arishan. Tshuva is Toshav, Hey, we want to do Tshuva, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Eichah, in a certain sense, is Eich, you know, Ayaka, where are we? Eichas, how did this happen? How did we do this to ourselves? Where are we? How could we have done this to a Kaddish Baruch Hu? It's a fantastic story from the Balatanya about this. It appears in Rabbi Zevin's collection called Tzipurei Chesidim, a Parshish Beratius, and his tragedy, obviously. The Balatanya was in jail, famous periods that he was in jail. So, one of the times he was in jail, the, the, the jailkeeper said to him, um, they must have had theological discussions in the jail. So he says to the Rebbe, I give it to you over here, I say, he says, do you believe the Torah is eternal? So the Rebbe said, yes, yes, you know, yes, of course. So, oh, and you believe HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows everything? Yes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows everything. So he says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows everything. He's omniscient, omnipotent. Why did Hashem have to ask Adam Arish and Ayaka, where are you? Didn't HaKadosh Baruch Hu know where he was? Didn't HaKadosh Baruch Hu know where he was? So the, so the Rebbe said to him, he said, you also believe the, you know, the Bible is eternal, God is eternal. So he said, yes, 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 you know. He was a Christian, right, after all. So he said to him, what, what, what God was asking Adam, he said, it must have been, you know, in Russian. So what he was asking him was, not where are you, you know, geographically, but where are you in terms of our relationship? And every person who sins at a certain point has to ask themselves that very question. So the guard was so impressed with the, you know, with what the Balatanya, you know, told him. He says to him, "Bravo!" Now I was surprised by that. Uh, that that throws the, you know, the story into somewhat of a question. Bravo, bravo was an Italian phrase. I find it hard to believe that a German, which was invented around the 1700s, that a German in the 1800s knew the word bravo. But uh, that's the way Rabbi Zevin quotes it. Anyway, every every person at some point has to ask themselves this question of. What have we done wrong, and where, and where can we improve? In a certain sense, that's what the kina of Eicha uh, represents. At the same time, Eicha seems to also be uh, a question to Kadosh How could you have done this to us? Almost a complaint to the Rebbeinu Shalom. Is this really commensurate with that which we did? And the same tug of war between these two explanations of Eichav taking personal responsibility versus shifting blame to Kaddish Baruch Hu, this struggle goes on in the writings of the Eish Kaddish. Because at the beginning, his first drush is recorded in the Sefer is Rosh Hashanah Tavshin. Rosh Hashanah of uh, 1939. So over here, Eish Tess. He writes, He says, Yes, it's true, we're suffering. Bombs had already started falling on Warsaw. It was invaded by the Germans. They hadn't, you know, they hadn't uh, um, reached the walls of war, so they weren't there. So the ghetto hadn't yet been set up. So he says, certainly there was something. He says, Why is this happening? Because so many people have left away of Torah mitzvahs. More than people recognize that people have left the path. There's a lot of people, not only the younger people, the older people too, but he pinned a lot of the blame on the younger people in Cain. He held himself responsible for it, but he says, in Cain, Gam Hutzar Chlasis Cain. 
There's a lot of social pressure to leave the path of Torah and mitzvahs, to go after you know the, the enlightenment or whatever they were tempted by. He says, uh, in order to be considered a chacham, you know, by the new generation, you have to leave. And even some of the good things that they do, is only they're doing it out of rote. And they're not doing it lishma. So he seems to understand that there's a problem here. They're doing something wrong. And for that reason, they were suffering. He writes in the Chavis HaTalmidim, he says, we've seen many, many, many youth already who are leaving the path of Torah Mitzvahs. He says, He says, We're pulling out our hair, but we're pulling out our hair, They've given up. They don't have any of it. They don't like the path that they've been given, the tradition, and they're leaving. And he says, and then he goes to town in the Russian yeshivas. He says, and the Russian yeshivas who are happy that they have a few mitsuyanim in their yeshiva, while the rest of the Hamoin Am isn't coming to them, because they say, well, at least we have this. Shame. Shame on you. So now the Russian yeshivas, I'm talking about Rosh Hashanah, I'm talking about Hamidim. They have their precious little Talmidim. And they say, that's enough? He says, that's wrong. It's terrible. Blast them. But he understands, he acknowledges that there are shortcomings of that generation. We like to glorify it. Right? They have many, many things that we don't have, but they also have problems with also those who are leaving the path of Torah And he, he, he takes a little bit of the blame. That's his first Rosh Hashanah, is he thinks that perhaps it's Mibnei Chata'enu Galinu and he's looking in, internally, as, as, as he should do. That was Rosh Hashanah, 1939. He gave another Rosh Hashanah, Shuvah, 1939. Two days after Yom Kippur, they were showing in Warsaw, and his Ben Yochid, he had one son, he had one daughter, one son, survived. Ben Sina Elimelech was uh, de- uh, wounded by the shelling. And they brought him to the hospital, together with his family, and seed him. And as they were waiting outside in the hospital to hear you know, how he was doing, there was another bomb that was hit the, the entrance of the hospital. His, uh, his daughter-in-law, the wife of his son, was killed. And his sister-in-law, who had been visiting from marriage to Sarah, was also killed. Second day, Sukkot, his son passed away from his injuries. Died from his injuries. Two weeks later, his mother died from the heartbreak of everything that had occurred in the family. He suffered terrible, terrible personal loss. And those you know, two weeks after Yom Kippur. We don't find him giving another drasha. He doesn't speak for six weeks. He doesn't speak for six weeks. He comes back with another drasha, Parshas Chayisar. And has an entirely different tone. He says in Parshas Chayisar, we hear Oisiyot. He says, why is it that the Misa of Saras juxtaposed with Akedah Sitzchak in the Chumash? Rashi tells us because Sarah died from the shock of hearing about Akedah Sitzvah. Says the Ishkadish, this, this was done deliberately by Moshe Rabbeinu in arranging the Torah in order to teach, you know, to teach us, give a message to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that there are sometimes tragedy that's overwhelming. We can't even handle it. Even Sarah Imenu couldn't handle the trauma of the Akedah Sitzvah. He writes, V'nei Rashi perish l'amin ispacham isa Sarah l'Akedah Sitzvah. She'll be surah sa'akedah in his damin b'no l'shkita, Sarah died from the shock of hearing about the Akedah Sitzchak, of potentially losing Yitzchak. 
was our defender, taking care of us, our shepherd. So much misa sola He did this deliberately. In order to uh, to support us in the eyes of the Kaddish Baruch Hu, as a haskama for us. Laharos shaydei yisurim chas v'chalilo yoisimidai. If a Kaddish Baruch Hu gives us too much yisurim manasa, shaparach and neshmasa. What happened to Sarah? She passed away. Then Benasa came to Sarah, and if this happened to Sarah, who was when she was a hundred, was free from sin, like a twenty-year-old, who her whole life cool and shovel the table, whatever came her way. She was able to be, live with equanimity, with Tishtavos HaNefesh. If this happened to Sarah, how can we possibly overcome this? Three lines from the bottom of Oisio, then he, he, he goes one step further. It's hard to... Uh, uh, only he could say this. He writes at the end of the third line from the bottom, Oit Efshaloymar, Shegam Sar Imenu Atzma, Shenosna Kol Kachal Liba Maisa Akedah Shepach Nishmas Lutoiva Yisrael Asta. Sarah did this, also for Klal Yisrael. Sacrifice herself for us. We can't handle this. Even if a Kaddish Baruch Hu leaves you alive, as he himself felt, it's clearly biographical, but he lost his whole family. There's a part of him. There's one line, there's a part of him, a piece of him that is lost forever. That he's, he's not going to get back. He himself is partially not here anymore. See, even if Sarah, yeah, she, she passed away, there's a part of us that passes away. It's hard for us, it's hard for us to take. It's hard for us to take. The next week, Pashas told us he revisits the theme again. And it's, in, again, an entirely different tone. He quotes from the Pasuk and Sefer Yishayahu, Who's Oivdim, lost, and who's Nidachim, pushed aside. He writes, there are two types of people who suffer. Two types of people. Some are nidach and some are oivim. Some are feel pushed aside, some feel marginalized, some feel lost. He's been pushed to a faraway place. This has to upon him. But he knows that he's been pushed away. I see you over there and I'm over here. I see you, even though I'm distant. Person who's lost. He's entirely... There isn't a person at the other end of the tunnel. Who should never go near the lunikar? Kikeshad saras misrabois ato. As the difficulties get greater, kol kafagam poshut misaprim zikne yisrael sheideze bechitzoyin eslam einam nikarim. You can't even tell the Jews from their outside external appearance anymore. Umei rov haradifus vayisur makoshim inasoy because of all the difficulties that they're bearing, which is too much. He efshel l'shari. You cannot possibly describe it. Gam bepni yusa einam nikarim. Internally, they're lost. They don't understand. They can't find the Kaddish Baruch Hu. There's such hester upon him. Shegam ha'ish ba'atzma oivid atzma. He's been entirely lost. Ves atzma inomakia. That's how oivid. The time of the Gula, they'll both be returned. The nidachim, those who understand the Kaddish Baruch Hu is there, but they feel marginalized, and the oivid. Those who don't even recognize themselves anymore. And he writes the Kaddish Baruch Hu, quotes from the Gemara at the beginning of the Sefer Kiddushim, that a bag of oivid, mechazer achar v'dosav, a Kaddish Baruch Hu lost us. Kaddish Baruch ultimately will find us, just like the Baal Aveda searches for his Aveda. So he ends with a message of hope. He ends with a message of hope, but there's despair in his voice. And again, in Parashas Vayigash, as he's suffering, reeling from that which occurred in his private life, again, it seems to be biographical as well. He discusses when Yaakov, when, um, Yaakov meets Yosef, of course, Yosef cries on Yaakov's neck, Yaakov says, Kriyashma. Yaakov cries on Yaakov's neck. 
For Yosef, when they cried at Binyamin's neck, they were both crying. They were both crying. What were they crying about? We already mentioned Rashi. He says in one place they were crying up a plume based on Mikdash. However, he suggests what they were crying over, what goes, what goes around a person's neck is a yoke. A yoke. A yoke goes around your neck. What they were crying over was the loss of all mitzvahs, of the mitzvahs that were able to fulfill the time of Beis Mikdash. The loss of the mitzvahs. However, the Rebbe says, he says, no, what they're, they're crying about is at the time of Chumah Beis Mikdash. we're not, we're so, there's such pain and such distance, such hester him, it's hard for us to perform the mitzvahs. Meaning, it, 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 it's counterproductive for the Rebbeinu Shalom. There's an old mitzvah around the world. Everything that we do, there's a way that we have to do it. Even when there's obstacles in our way, because we have this obligation, we push on. Korban comes, now it's just too much. has been destroyed. Not only can we bring the carbonos, but the entire all of mitzvahs is lost to us. What they were crying about was not just the loss of Beis Hamikdash and the technical things numerically, you know, quantitatively that we can't do in the Beis Hamikdash. It was the loss of all mitzvahs of their ability. Uh, you know, to connect to the Kajbarakul to the mitzvahs because they were lost to themselves. However, he struggles with this. He starts out initially looking, what have we done? And he points to, you know, looks in the mirror. Our community is not living it up, up to what we're supposed to. And then the tragedy just gets so enormous for him that all of a sudden he takes a step back. He says, Hashem, how could you have done this to us? It's counterproductive for you. But then he forges on. He says, you know what? He looks back. He says, we're going to push on. Despite the Hester Panim, again, personal responsibility. So he has a comment over here in Purim, Tafshin, which is, which is often quoted comment of the Zayar. No one takes it in the way that he takes it. There's a comment of the Zayar Purim is related to Yom Haki Purim. Yom Haki Purim. What's the connection between Purim and Yom Haki Purim? Yom Haki Purim, Yom Purim. What's the connection? Not many say it's two sides of the same coin. One we fast, one we eat. That's the connection many say. He says differently. He says, just like you have to push yourself to eat on, uh, to fast on Yom Kippurim, even though it's hard, on Purim in the Warsaw Ghetto in 1940, we have to push ourselves to be Misameach. Even though it's hard for us to do the mitzvahs in this much Hester Pan, we have to push ourselves. He says, whether we want to, we don't want to, we do because of the Xerah of Hashem. Whether you're besimcha or not, whether you feel like you can be misamech or you can't be misamech, we have an obligation to do it. So we're going to do it, we're going to forge on, we're going to push on, we're going to be misamech. So he's pushing himself, he's pushing himself. Again, in Parshish Bahar, that year, he says, we've got to push ourselves. If we want to connect, if we have a Rutzen, there'll be a Tzinar, Kaddish Baruch Hu will throw us a lifeline, there'll be a conduit where we can connect to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. If we want, we can persevere, we can push on, and if we have enough desire to do the mitzvahs, even in this setting, even in this time of Hester Panim, we have an obligation to do it. And he, 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 he derides those who use this as an excuse to do that which they can. He says, over here, 
This is beyond our control, which itself is its own tragedy. That people feel that it's happening without their ability to intervene to, in any substantive way. We have to strive for Yeshua. It says, that's why, by the way, we ate Morar in Mitzrayim. When was the first time we ate Morar? We ate the carbon paste together with Morar in Mitzrayim. Why are we eating it together with Morar in Mitzrayim? We have Morar with us. They were still in Mitzrayim. What the Morar is to remind us, if we have a Geula, remember that difficulty that we had in Mitzrayim. Well, they were sitting in Mitzrayim. What's the necessary? Why was it necessary to have more a symbol of Mariras? They were in the Mariras itself. She says, no, it was to remind us that in the Mariras we served the Kaddish Baruch In the Mariras we found the Rebbein Shalom. And that's why we, they ate more that very first year. That's what the Mariras coming to teach us. And he repeats this theme of Parashas Eker. He writes over here that if we have a Ratzin, if we have a desire to perform the Torah in the Mitzvah, Kaddish Baruch will give us a Tzina, Kaddish Baruch will give us the ability to do Kinoida, Misfar Makadoshim, Surachanis, Yisrael, Mamshak, Kedushim, Imam. Our Ratzin has the ability to change. Because Baruch presents us. For Ratzin, Oisio, Sinar, Omekshe, Lo, Ratzin, Chazak, if you have a strong will, Ache, Mitzdar, Mimenu, Yoisir, Bekayach, Ratzin, Lahamshach, Kedush, if we want to attach ourselves to Kaddish Baruch Hu, Haratzin, Moel, Lahamshach, Chesed, Va'ork, that will bring down the Chesed, Ova, Tzarsh, Mitzdar, Moel, Lahavir, Sadin, Vatzimtzum, Shemastir, Omal, Mitzam, Shach, Vash, Vamimar. That will help us to bring down the ability from Kaddish Baruch Hu to perform the terror in the midst. But then he says over here, two lines before that go. <laughs> there are those who rely on the excuse of the Torahs too much. He's critical of those. They say, guys, you're taking a piss because of the Torahs. They walk around talking about silliness all day. He's critical of them, even what they're going through. And he tells them, you can't learn a little bit. You can't take a pistol to heal him. You can't do something. So again, he's come back. He started out reflective. Then he said, this is just too much for us. How could you have done this? And now, now, despite the Hester Panim, he's saying, we have to persevere. We have to serve a Kaddish Baruch. We have to be Messiah Purim, just like we fast in Yom Kippur, even though we don't want to. But then, 1943, again, these are the two, two Hagos that he makes after the sentence was completed. In 1943, he comes back. And he writes in 1943 in his comments on Parshat he edits them. He says, I said this in 1941. Even though they were very great. We still had it within us to push on we're about those who are left over. To think about the future. We were still thinking about how we're going to get back our shuls and our yeshivas. How are we going to give Musr to the generation to come back to Torah and replenish our communal, revive our communities. They're gone. The communities are gone. They're overburdened. All that's left is death. There's no one to give Musa to. There's nothing to lament. 
There's no one to arouse. There's no one to give Joshua's truth. How much you know, how difficult is it to daven, to keep Shabbos, even for those who want to, the culture can live close to Allah How hard it is to cry about the future. He says, we don't have the heart anymore. We can't do it. This is only going to happen at the time of the Google, at the time of the Amazing. So again here, he becomes, you know, he becomes despondent. He becomes despondent. He changed his tune. He changed his tune. I think it's this tension that resides throughout the day of Tisha B'Av. And it's that tension that's in Eicha. On the one hand, Eicha is Eicha, Eich Hashem. How could we have done this to Kadesh Baruch Hu? And that's the proper response. Um, not even if we cannot say pinpoint the Navera, it's important for us to say every time the tragedy strikes, you know, what should we be doing better? Even if it's not a reason that it occurred, we don't know the reasons why the Yibbam does anything, but we know that we have to respond in some way. We have to improve. We have to allow it to affect us. But then there's a certain part of the Hester Pondim that also is a, is a, is a, is a complaint, Kibbutal Kadosh Baruch how could you have done this to us? This itself is counterproductive. The Hester Pondim it's difficult for us to grasp, but it's that tension that uh, you feel in this kina that uh, the Ish Kaddish, I think, is, is bringing out. There's a statement, a Kleisenberger, um, not for the uh, many had uh, the opportunity to meet, I've met him numerous times. So he once wrote something, an introduction to a book about his experiences. So he says the following, I thought it was so powerful. He says, it's impossible for anyone to put into words the full extent of the Holocaust. Not even a portion of it can be fully described. He said, it can't be described. Nor do we understand the meaning. Neither a great scholar nor a simple Jew can really comprehend it. He says, clearly it was a divine decree. One, we pray, will never be repeated. But I, before I relate some of the events, I must first tell the reader that all I say is only one drop in the ocean. Still, I hope that this drop will open the reader's heart. And he says, the very first thing I wish to, to do is to declare Shema Yisrael. As a matter of says, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Aleikeinu, Hashem Echad. He declares his emunah, but then he goes on and he tells the following story. He says, I will never forget the sight that met my eyes when we came to Auschwitz. Three days before Shavuos, I saw revealed before me the eternal core of Am Yisrael. Unquenchable, even though all the forces in the universe strive against it, we were surrounded, each group, of a thousand by electrified barbed wire fences. One touch would kill a man on the spot. We went out in the morning and we saw men struggling to reach some object beyond the fence. I did not know what was happening, so I asked and I was told that beyond the electric fence, someone had spotted a page of a machzor with akadamus printed on it. And the men were trying to reach through the fence and get hold of it. I lifted my eyes to HaKadosh Baruch when I said, who is like your people, Klal Yisrael, the unique nation on earth? I wonder if there is such a sight had ever been seen before. Jews in such a terrible situation with death staring them in the face. Yet at the very same moment, their faith moved them to risk their lives to get a single page. Praise Hashem. And he says, editorially, it seems to me that such incidents, and thousands of such incidents occurred during the Holocaust, should be capable of destroying the power of the heavenly adversary in awakening the mercy in Hashem for all of Klal Yisrael. And it's that difficulty in grappling with Hester Panim, 
On the one hand, of course, our response is, what are we going to do about it? And that's an obligation that we all have. But at the same time, the Hestaponim is, is difficult. It's difficult because we don't understand the ways of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And, and in a certain sense, we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how could he have done this to us? Eicha asked about that. Which one? Talks about um, the affecting not only the lower realms, as we discussed before, but the the upper base Amikdash. And Rabbi Shachayim has an important comment at the beginning of Sha'ala, where he tells us that the, the base Amikdash, the physical base Amikdash, was destroyed by, by Titus, by Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. However, the spiritual base Amikdash, which is the engine behind it all, is what we affect with our actions. And he was only able to breach the walls of the Beis HaMikdash because, of, uh, because of, uh, of our actions. So, in a certain sense, it reflects the spiritual destruction, the uh, physical destruction, Yushalayim, both, both, both are equal and related, as you mentioned already. But I think this keynote also underscores the fact that when we are mourning down here below, there's a mourning that occurs up above. So it says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is mourning with us. Shechina, Ke'ilu, is Bitsar with us. Suppose it says, Imoi, Anoichi Bitsar, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with us in our pain. Bechol Tzarasam, Loitzar, the Pasuk Yishayo. When we are in pain, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in pain as well. And that's what the Gemara tells him, Mesechus Chagiga, over here, I see test, Bizman Shon, the Mitztair, Shechina, Malosh, and Aymeres. When we are in pain, what does the Shechina say? My head hurts. My arm hurts. Everyone calls the story of Shlomo Zalman when he went to the doctor with his wife. Said, our foot hurts. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's paraphrasing the Gemara Chagiga. When we are in pain, a Kaddish Baruch Hu is in pain. When our head hurts, Kaddish Baruch Hu's head hurts. Kiyu. When our foot hurts, Kaddish Baruch Hu's foot hurts. And this is reflected as well in the Gemara Mishnah Chagiga. It tells us, B'mistaroiz tivke nafshi. B'mwoiz tishman in the Pesach says, B'mistaroiz tivke nafshi. 
Mepnei Gava. Mishra Baruch Hu cries and misstars in the hidden places, Mepnei Gava. Because of their... Because of their... Uh, nobility. So Amr Rav Shua Barina, Mishmei Darav. Malkam Yeshu Kaddish Baruch Hu Mishtarim Shemoy. Kaddish Baruch has a place called Mishtarim where he cries over Gavosan Shal Yisrael, the pride of the Jewish people, Shanitl Mehem. Minitl Nachrim. It's taken away from us and given to Nachrim. Cries of the Gavos of Malchus Shemayim, the pride of Malchus Shemayim. But then the Gemara asks, really? Kaddish Baruch Hu cries, but the Pesach says, "There's always simch on the presence of the Rebbeinu Shalolam." Says the Gemara, "Kasha, haba bate gavoy, haba bate baroy." Outside, externally, Kaddish Baruch Hu is always oiz v'ched v'bimkaymay. Internally, b'mistarim, Kaddish Baruch Hu is crying with us. Over our pride that was taken away from us. However, the Rebbe asked, if that's the case, Baruch cries with us. He thinks that that teaches us something critical. And I think it follows on what we discussed in, Kina, in the Kina about, about Eicha, in uh, Kina That is, he asked the following question, brilliant question. How is a Moshe Rabbeinu was Zeichet to have Nevuah in Mitzrayim, which was a time of great difficulti? How is it, Yemiyo Anavi, was Zeichet to have Nevuah during the Forum Beis HaMikdash? The Gemara says in Masech Shabbos, Ein Shechina Shaira, Lo Yemitoich Atzvos, Lo Yemitoich Atzvos. There's no Hashras HaShechina, when a person is sad, El Yemitoich Simcha Shal Mitzvah. The only time you can have Nevuah is at a time of great Simcha. How then was there Nevuah in Mitzrayim? How was there Nevuah at the time of Forum Beis HaMikdash? And he says the following. He says over here, and his comments on Parashat Chaydesh Tavshin Beis. And it, it, it's really explaining that Gemara Mesechtis Chagiga, the Kaddish Baruch who cries in private for us. And it follows on what he was describing in the struggle earlier of how to deal with Hester Panin. And his, his explanation is that when the Kaddish Baruch who cries in private for us, the Kaddish Baruch who is in pain with us, that gives us chizuk and the ability really to connect to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, even in the time of Hester Panim. Kaddish Baruch Hu is not only crying with us in order to be empathetic, but the fact that Kaddish Baruch Hu is crying with us means that we can find Hashem even in the crying. Even in the crying. And that's how you can have a Nevuah even in the times of Golos Mitzrayim, even in the times of the Hester Panim, the Beis Hamikdash, because when a Kaddish Baruch Hu cries with us, that means the Kaddish Baruch Hu is there too and we can find Him if we enter into the private room together with the Rebbein Shalom. If we follow after Him, into those private spaces, those dark spaces, we can find the Kaddish Baruch Hu there, even in the time of Hester Pani. Right over here, Eishchot Beis. Ocheri Yeshusho. Eichn is gal nevuah l'moishu Rabbeinu hoga ashroas ha-nevuah tricha simcha. He needs simcha. Moishu Rabbeinu kutz mitzareisa. Aside from his own personal pain, Moishu Rabbeinu was vayarbis of loisam. He saw the pain of Kal Yisrael. Aval zeh nira loi Hashem apam echa b'sneh. Kaddish Baruch Hu showed himself. Revealed himself to Moishu Rabbeinu at a sneh, which was, of course was the burning bush that had thorns. Mishum to teach Moshe Rabbeinu, even though there's thorns here, even though it's a time of difficulty, I will be with you. Even though there's always pleasure, you know, there's always simcha in the presence of Kaddish Baruch Hu, Kaddish Baruch Hu also cries in private with us, and we can find him there. When is the time of simcha? Then you have to find the Kaddish Baruch Hu only in that simcha. When the Kaddish Baruch Hu's presence is revealed, you only can find the Kaddish Baruch Hu through simcha. When we're in difficulty, Kaddish Baruch Hu is there with us, and we can find him there too. Rachem Yesh at the end of the period. If we can be misyachet with Hashem, 
We can be mechazik ourselves in Amuna even at the time of Hester Panama, Kadosh Baruch Hu is there with us. We can connect to Kadosh Baruch Hu even in that setting. We can find the Kodesh Baruch even in that setting. Even in that setting. But he says, who can talk this way? But he says, who? The Jew says, I'm broken. How can I find the Kodesh Baruch I'm constantly crying. How can I find the Kodesh Baruch Hu? How do you want me to learn Torah? Now here that's biographical. He himself was saying, how can you expect me to give drushes while I'm crying to say Chidushim and Torah and Chesidus? He says, but then he, now he says what his own process was. And he says, and if I can, doesn't that make me callous? How can I be Mechadish and Torah and Chesidus while others are mourning? So even if I can somehow gird myself, isn't that callous? How can I do that? He himself felt guilty about saying Joshua. Look at them. But then he comes back and he says, but I'm also broken. He says, But HaKadosh Baruch was in those private rooms crying. A person who pushes himself into the room with Hashem, and a person cries with Hashem, and he can find the Kaddish Baruch even in the time of Esther Panim, if he perseveres. And he says, later on, that's the Pshat in the Gemara Brachas. The Gemara Brachas over here, Eishchav Gimel, says, Rabbi Yoisi once walked into one of the Chorbanas of Yushalayim, and he heard a Basko. He met Eliyahu and Navi, and Eliyahu and Navi said, what Basko did you hear? And he told him, the Basko that I heard was, Basko, which told me, Oi Lebanim Shebaveseim Hechravti Yisbeis Yisrafti Yisrafti Woe to my children that in their Averis, they have destroyed my base. I mean, they burned down my sanctuary. I sent them into Golos amongst the other nations. So the Rebbe asks over here, Eishchav Dawid, he says, why did he only hear this Basco in the Churban of the Beis HaKnesses, you know, the Churban, uh, the Churbanus of Yushalayim? Why didn't he hear this when he's walking down the street? Why didn't he hear the Basco when walking down the street? Oi! Uh, Why is it only the Khurban of Yushalayim in the, the, in the burned out shul? So he says, because in the burned out shuls where Kaddish Baruch Hu is crying with us, when you walk into the, the Khurban, when you go into the Khurban and you try to find Hashem, even in the Khurban, you're still going into the shul, even though it's burned out, to find the Kaddish Baruch Hu, then you can find the Yubban Shalom even in the Hestaponim. See, right over here, Why didn't he find this when he was dominating shul in general? Because he broke his heart further and he overcame his own despair, his own mourning to learn, to be to find the Kaddish Baruch Hu, to daven even in that setting therefore he was left to find the Kaddish Baruch Hu crying together with him. He says, what else can we do? What else can we do? We're going to have to push on. We're going to have to learn. We're going to have to say to them. And the Tzavazir, Tzavazir was his diary. He wrote a diary of his own religious hargoshes. So you look back at Oyskov. He has a tefillah, which is unbelievable, that he writes to himself. It was later published, but it's his own private diary of his machshavas. He writes over here back in Oyskov. He says, He composed his own tefillah. 
Kaddish Baruch Hu hears our cries. What are you going to do with all the tears that have been spilled? During the Yom they rhyme. What are you going to do with all the tears of the last 20 years? From the days of the Vim until now. Spill it all out. But then he says, What are you going to do with your tears? He recognized that Kaddish Baruch Hu was crying with him. And that's how he was able to find Hashem even in the Hester Parnam. I think that that's what this Kina reflects. That we cry down here, but there's also crying that's above. Kaddish Baruch Hu is crying with us. And therefore, if we search for Hashem in the Hester Parnam, and Father Kaddish Baruch Hu there too. Ha'adar Chuk Shemayim. Kina Yud discusses the Eicha Yashua Chavatzelas Hashar and discusses the abandonment of the Kahuna, the loss of the uh, Kahanim and the Mishmars in the Beis Hamikdash. Why do we discuss the loss of the Kahanim and Tishabab? So the Mar says Mesef Rosh Hashanah because Shulam Yisrael Mesef Tzadikim can strafe his base on the Kahanim. The loss of Tzadikim is like the loss of the Beis HaMikdash itself. Why? Why is the loss of Tzadikim like the loss of the Beis HaMikdash itself? Because it said Tzadik Yisraelam, the Tzadik keeps the world going, so the Beis HaMikdash keeps the world going, the Tzadikim keeps the world going, but I think in this context, it's because the Kohanim were the ones who connected us, our world with the spiritual world. They allowed us to find the Kaddish Baruch Hu in this world. And that's why we mourn the loss of the Kohanim, specifically at the time of Hester Parnam, because they were our conduit in order to find HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's why we mourn the loss of Sadiqim, particularly on Tisha They helped us find HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the Hester Panim. And therefore, they're mentioned here as well. And again, I think, Ishkaidish in his comments, is our conduit. It's helping us find the Rebbein Shalom even in the time of Hester Panim. And that's a different kind of a Tzadik. There's some, there's some, there's some Tzadikim who uplift those who already, you know, 
who are interested in finding Kaddish Baruch they don't have difficulty. Noyach. Noyach is the model for that. Noyach was able to help those who were interested. He wasn't able to save the rest of the generation who wasn't interested. Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu was the Sanefesh of Sharas And Avram Avinu went down to, to the people. He was able to uplift them. Uh, he was able to uplift them from there. And I think the Rebbe follows in that model. He viewed his Achrayas to go down to the people and to find where they are and to uplift them, to be their conduit, to find the Kaddish Baruch even in the time of Hester Parnam. There's a famous story that Rabbi Nachman tells about the turkey, the prince who thought he was a turkey. There's a prince who gets uh, delusional and he starts sitting underneath the table without any clothes on, eating breadcrumbs with his mouth. And they try to, uh, you know, to, to get him to see someone and talk about it and whatever, to get him out from underneath the table, and he refuses to leave. They've exhausted all you know, that they can do. So they call Tamachachim. So what does Tamachachim do? Tamachachim comes, he sees this naked prince underneath the table pecking breadcrumbs with his mouth. So what's he going to say to him? He doesn't say anything. He, gets, he takes his own clothes off, he gets underneath the table, and he also starts eating the breadcrumbs with his mouth. Underneath the table, together with the naked prince. And he goes like that for a few hours. So then, he asks, uh, he asks someone else for a shirt back. And he puts on his shirt, but he stays underneath the table, pecking the breadcrumbs with his mouth. And he says to the prince, you know, I'm a turkey just like you. Like I'm sitting underneath the table just like you. The prince thought he was a turkey. That's why he's sitting underneath the table without any clothes on, pecking the breadcrumbs with his mouth like the turkey. He says, I'm a turkey. Me and you are in the same thing. But a turkey can wear a shirt. So the prince says, oh, a turkey can wear shirts. He says, okay, fine, I'll take a shirt too. Fine. So then he asks for his pants. And again, he turns to the prince, you know, I'm a turkey like you, but, but we can wear pants. It's okay. You can be a turkey and still wear pants. Fine. And it goes like that, pecking with your mouth. Then he asks, you know, he says to the prince, you know, we can be turkeys still and eat with, our ha- eat with our hands. You don't have to eat with your mouth. He says, oh, okay, fine. So we'll start eating with our hands. He says, you know, turkeys can also sit on the chair and eat at the table. So he says, oh, okay, fine. So we'll be a turkey. We'll get out and we'll sit at the table. And that's the end of the story. And obviously what the story is coming to teach us is that instead of talking to people from up here while they're down there, he's naked underneath the table acting like a turkey, you're not going to affect him that way. The only way to affect him is to get into the same situation yourself and uplift him. And that's the certain tzaddikim who have that uh, ability to lift up other people from where they are and uh, they're, because they're there, they're there with them. And therefore, they have that, uh, that ability. And that is the obligation, that is the obligation of the tzaddik. The Rebbe writes like this over here. Oh, it's, uh, the next page of the prayers. It's comments of Pashas Nasan. He comments on the Pasuk having to do with the Birchus Kainim. The Pasuk says, Kaisavarch was Benayisho, the Kohanim blessed Kal Yisrael. But is it really the Kohanim who blessed Kal Yisrael was at Hashem? The Brach they give is Yivarech Hashem. Vesamu Hashemiyah Benay Yisrael, Vani Avarchem. Kaddish Baruch Hu blesses Klai Yisrael. So who's blessing Klai Yisrael? The Kohanim or Kaddish Baruch Hu? So says the Ish Kaddish, over here, Eishchav Ches. Mashmash Hashem Yivarch, Vizet Efshadar Lefi Darsha Vidarsha Vufi Adar. Kaddish Baruch Hu gives Darshanim for the generation and generations for the Darshanim, meaning they have to match. Shechein Tzarech Hadar Yishliyos Kefi Adar. They have to match. They have to be together. Because he has to be a conduit of the bracha from HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he delivers to the people. Kadesh Yekar Vlam Yosem and Tiyosem. And again, it's biographical. He felt he had to be in the same situation as the people. He didn't leave. He didn't run away. Because he felt, even though he had the opportunity. 
he felt it was his obligation to be the conduit of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, to be the conduit of Amuna, even in the time of Hester upon him, to those who were, who were with him. After the deportations in 1942 from the uh, Warsaw Ghetto to Treblinka, there were some Jews who stayed. So in order to stay, you have to be a worker in a factory. So the Rebbe was a worker in a factory. There were those who were able to get him you know, the ability to be a worker in a factory, and therefore he wasn't deported. His daughter, his daughter was deported in 1942, and that's why he never spoke after that. He had one daughter, one son. The daughter was deported. And after that, he never gave any other drushes, but he worked in a shoe factory. The Schultz Shoe Factory. So there was others who survived that shoe factory and printed their diaries. One of them is Hillel Seidman, this is a famous Warsaw diary, he was in that same shoe factory. So he says, Hillel Seidman writes in his diary from the Warsaw Ghetto, who else was in the shoe factory was the Kajaglava, Rosh Hashiva, Shiva Schachman, Lublin. Lublin is not so far from Warsaw. He was also in that same shoe factory. That's how he survived. Also till the end of 1943, because there were workers in this in the shoe factory. So the, Simon says they saw the, the Rebbe and the Kajik lover working opposite from each other. He says once in a while they were talking, learning, and he says they were in a different world than everybody else. Someone else who survived from there was uh, Alexander Chosin. So he says in his diary that once the Rebbe wasn't working fast enough. So Germany, Mark Shemot, kicked him in the face. As he dropped something, he was picking it up and kicked him, and all of his shoe scraps, uh, leather he was working with, fell on the ground. And he had to pick them up with a, a dust bin. So the Alexander Chosid, who was there, sometimes came over to help the Rebbe, and he said, I'll do it. So the Rebbe said, no, I don't want you. He said, my, my yichus is to serve Rebbe's. He was Alexander Chosid, my father was the Gaba of the Rebbe. So it would be my honor to, to help you. He understood who the Rebbe was. So he said, no, no, I'll pick up the dust myself. I'll pick up the dust myself. And Alexander Chassid understood that the Rebbe was saying something more than just picking up the dust. He understood it was his job to be in the dust for those who are suffering, those who felt like they were in the dirt, and to help pick them up. They were making shoes. He also felt it was his advice to give people shoes. Even when they felt that they had no ability to walk, no ability to find the Kaddish Baruch or to find the Muna, within the Hester Panam, he felt that that was his advice to be the conduit of bracha from HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the people. And that's, in a certain sense, what the Kohanim represented as well. And it's in this kino, Eicha Yosh we mourn the loss of gods, of those who help us to find HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even in the times of Hestikon.
Kini Rauf is the oldest of all the Kinis, which is the and the backstory, as we mentioned before, it's apparent in the Kina. The reaction to the Kina is that Yoshio uh, Amela brought a revival of Yiddishkeit, of course. We thought they were functioning on the highest of Madregas, where they were Zoyche to the fulfillment of the Pasik Becher Vlasava Ba'artzachan. He didn't have to give passage to other kings to pass through his land. And uh, therefore, he refused passage anybody who wanted to pass through his land who was going to wage war. But of course, Yumiyo Anavi, he didn't ask Yumiyo Anavi his advice. He asked Bilga, he asked Koda, uh, 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 different Nabiya, her advice, but he didn't ask Yumiyo Anavi. Because he failed to ask Yumiyo Anavi, who would have told him that they were serving a Vedizar behind the doors, you didn't, you didn't realize the Kaiser wasn't functioning on the side of Madrega. You weren't Zaycha to the fulfillment of the Pasuk, but careful with Sabah Barat's coming, you don't have the, you, you, you don't have the right to deny entry to the other armies who were just passing through. Um, if he would have asked him, he would have found out, but he didn't ask him, he didn't consult with the Navi, and therefore, and therefore he was punished. And this Kina is all about him, the individual of Yeshio. But I think it also reflects the failure, and that's why it follows perhaps, perhaps on the heels of Kina Yud, which discusses the Kahanim, where they contributed in enabling us to find the Kaddish Baruch Hu, to relate to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, to connect to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, this kina mourns the, uh, the failure to recognize the Milo of Anavi. That's why Yoshio Amelach didn't consult the Yomio. He didn't think he had to. But he was a smart man. He didn't understand what the Navi had that was greater than he had, which is, Mali Gemara tells us, the basic Mishra People sometimes don't appreciate the Eidah that we have today, of the Tamil Chachamim, even though they're not Nevi'im, of the Tamil Chachamim. But I think the Nevi'im, or the Navi, has something that goes above and beyond that. Not just the wisdom of the Dasperah and that kind of thing, but it's the vision. It's the ability to see something that other people don't see. And the last Joshua that appears in the Eish Kodesh was given on Shabbos Chazon, 1942, before the deportations in the summer. And he comments on the word Chazon at the beginning of the Haftarah. 
And he writes, because there are many, quotes in the name of the Medrash, there are many um, languages that we find that introduce a nevua. But chazoin is the kasher shebekulam. Chazoin is the most intense, is a pure vision. Sometimes the Nevi'im saw things it was hard for them to interpret. Chazoin was a clear nevua. It was a clear nevua. And he says, Be'ini nevua e'lan u'asag, over here at the second line of Yitzchak, Tess, about pashat efshal afi matzadeinu. He says, we don't understand the, you know, what nevua is all about. But seeing things, he understands how powerful that is. Seeing things is much more powerful than knowing them. You can know something. A lot of us have read books about thousands of occurred in Claudius Israel, the Holocaust, other things. But we didn't see it ourselves. The Navi sees it. The Navi sees it. And when you see something, that's much more powerful than knowing it. We see how different experiencing something is, seeing it versus knowing it. All the things that we're experiencing, no one else can understand. Because they didn't see it. We've read about everything that happened to the Korban. We thought we had some grasp of what they went through. And he said, sometimes we even cry. But now that we are suffering, we know that no one who isn't here will ever understand this. How much more deep is it when a person goes through it themselves? It's not the same. It's not the same type. It's a different kind, entirely. And that was the mile of the Navi. The Navi saw it. He didn't just know it. And that's why the Navi was more, a greater insight. That's why Chazoin, which was the clearest vision, is the most powerful of them all. And he says, that's why the Gemara tells us in Sanhedrin, there were Amorim who described the Chevle Mashiach, the difficulties that will come at the times of the heralding the Mashiach, and he said, They said, let it come, but I don't want to see it. What did that mean? Let it come, but I don't want to see it. So he explains, They knew what was going to happen. They didn't want to see it. They couldn't see it. That's when a Kodesh Baruch Hu says to Klal Yisrael Mitzrayim, who says, I know their pain and I've seen it. So he asks, what's added to seeing the pain of a Kaddish Baruch Hu versus knowing it? If a Kaddish Baruch Hu knows about it, what's added to seeing it? What's added to seeing it is that uh, a person understands it in a, di- in a deeper way. He compares it, he gives a very powerful muscle to a person who, let's say, needs uh, a shot. A lot of people need a shot. They need uh, a blood test. Right? So they know they need a blood test. We know what's going to happen. A lot of people don't look. I don't look. I don't, I don't like looking. Oh, a person needs an operation. A person needs an operation for their child. So they know they need it. They can't see it. They can't see it. It's too much. It's, it's, it's too overwhelming. We, we can't deal with it in that way. And that's what the Amorim was saying about the We know it has to happen. We know it's for good, but we can't see it. If we see it, there's no way we'd be able to handle it. No, even though we know it's good, there's no way we'd be able to handle it. So he says like this. He says, of course, the Nevuah about the Chorbeis Amigdash, they knew that this had to happen. This would be somehow part of the plan of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. He says the Tzars that we're going through are somehow part of the plan of the Yibbani Shalom, even though we don't understand it. 
And perhaps the Kaddish Baruch Hu can handle it if he knows about it. But a Kaddish Baruch Hu sees it, he says there's no way a Kaddish Baruch Hu is going to be able to handle it either. Just like a father can't see his son going through something like that. Even though they know it's for their benefit, they, they just can't watch. When a Kaddish Baruch Hu says, I know what they're going through, and I see it, we know from there ultimately that the Yeshua will come. Because there's no way Avinu Shabbat can handle seeing this, even though he knows it's part of his plan, can handle seeing us in such pain. And he concludes, with this message of hope, Kaddish Baruch Hu sees what's happening to us. He's witnessing together with us. He's in pain together with us. He's a survivor together with us. And therefore he knows, he has confidence, that Kaddish Baruch Hu is not going to be able to handle this, and ultimately the Yeshua will come. But I think you see something very, very important other than something else in this kingdom. Not only the power of seeing, of the Navi, of understanding, not just knowing what happened, but experiencing you know, oneself, and understanding the difference between knowing something and experiencing oneself, is that this kina is also about one individual. One individual. Which many comments comes to teach us about the importance of one individual. Each individual story is important on the day of, uh, of Tisha B'Av, not just the conglomerate, not just the collective, each individual. The whole stories of the Chor Beis HaMetosh and the Mesechus Gitin are about individuals, Kamta B'Kamta, with one person and another person, and yet that ultimately brought about the Chor Beis HaMetosh. I think that teaches us, too, about the power of one individual. The rabbi over here gave drushes to people in Warsaw Ghetto. One individual, and yet he brought hope, he brought Amuna to many people who were in difficulty. He continues to bring Amuna to us, even in our time as well. Kino Yudgimel breaks up the word Eicha into two words, Eikoi. Where is the Koi? Referring to the brachas that Kodesh Baruch Hu gave him, Avinu, Koi, Azarecha, the Kedus Yitzvah, Vaniva, Narna, Koi, Koi, Kodesh Baruch Hu told, Koi, Sotam, Amin, Asina, Koi, Soim, Alabes, Yachoi, we have a Koi by each one of the Yavis, the great brachas that were given to each one of the Yavis, the promises that were given to them. The Koi, Kodesh Baruch Hu blessed us with the word Koi. Kaisuvarhu has been a Yisrael. Berkas Kainam begins with that same word, Kai. And uh, Kina laments, where's that Kai? Where's all the bracha? Where's all the promise? 
And it represents a kind of, um, even as we're trying to find the Kaddish Baruch when Esther Panim, there's, there's, you know, highs and lows. There's a time over here in the throes of Aravelos, the throes of our mourning, that we have despair. Eikai, where what happened to everything? Which implies a kind of a yeyush. Which is something that the Eishkaitis addresses a few <coughs> times. He says that that's why Claudius was unable to hear Moshe Rabbeinu um, when he came to them in Mitzrayim. They placed upon us great difficulties. So in the conclusion of the Pasuk, it's, it's uh, itemized. At the beginning, we just cried out to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. But it doesn't have the items that are listed. It's alluded to something else. Each one is referring to something else. Why is the items only mentioned that the Kaddish Baruch Hu heard their cries? Why is it mentioned that they cried about the itemized list? Why didn't they come to the Kaddish Baruch Hu? We're crying about this, we're crying about this, we're crying about that. How come only at the time of the Yeshua that we find all of the different items mentioned? He says we become dull to the pain. We can't itemize it because it's just so overwhelming. There's no more this event and that event and discussing it and thinking about it. We would actually have the ability to feel everything that would happen. That deserves to be filled. We wouldn't be able to last one day. If you have dead skin, it doesn't feel the knife. So he says, we're dead already. All we feel is trampled. The whole world is dark. There's no day, there's no night. But he says at the time of the Yeshua, then we can appreciate it, then we can appreciate it. But he was dealing with the Yeyush. That's what he was preaching to. That's what the people felt. They felt the doing of their sensations. And he writes over here, Islam at Aleph. It doesn't feel like we have anything to be machazik ourselves. He said, sometimes he would say, well, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. So he says, the swear of it could have been worse only works for so long. He says, that which we told ourselves at the beginning could be worse. When it gets so bad. He says, now that only lasts for so long. When it gets terrible, that doesn't work anymore. And now he's confronting a Yeyush. He's confronting a Yeyush. What happened to all of our Koy? What happened to all of our Brach? What happened to all of our potential? What happened to all of our discussions of Yeshua in those dark times? And here he writes over here, That's why he says, Kalev. Kalev didn't get involved in logical arguments with the Jewish people about the mindless of Eretz Israel and all of the resources that it contained, and the beauty of the land. He just told them, we're going. He says, it's true. They told you, he says, yes, it's true. We're going anyway. We're going anyway. It's beyond Seichel. Because Seichel has no traction 
in that mind, so the time of Hester upon him. So he says over here, Oislam and Beis, he says, there's no seichel. He didn't argue with them. We can't, we, we, we can't get involved in logical arguments. This has to be our Amunah. Not only when we see a political way that things can resolve, which makes sense through nature. It has to be even at a time when a person feels that it's a breaking point. When he's a time of Yeish, when there's Hester fun, when he feels his senses are completely dull, we have to have a Muna there too. And that's what Kali was telling the Jewish people. It doesn't matter. We're going anyway. At that time, all we have to do is have a moon and Hashem. The Adarama says, Don't get involved in politics. Don't, don't think about how this could work out diplomatically. You just make it disappointed. You won't find a way out. It's true. It's true. They're powerful. And so, to at a time of Yehush, um, throughout Jewish history, when we say to ourselves, Eikhoi, where is all the promise that we had, all of our potential with Amanifchar and all of that? Where is that? We have to have a Munanakhar's Rafu nonetheless. Eikhoi. Kina Tezayin and Yudzayin, we usually say together, they're related. Probably think it's related, but they both describe scenes that are indescribable. That, uh, Balakina feels bad even mentioning it. Im, that's what he says, if. You can't say it actually happened. You say, if this would happen. If this would happen. If parents eating their children and people being pulled on the forces of things that are indescribable. Things that are indescribable. Both of these kinas, kina tezayin, kina yodzayin, reflect these kinds of indescribable, indescribable events. All which occurred from Besamitosh, this has occurred, other pogroms and other difficulties that we've suffered, and certainly 
the Holocaust as well. And just like the Balakina finds himself almost speechless, he's just not able to do it, but yet he forces himself to describe it, that in, that hesitancy, which is, we don't really want to talk about it, but we feel like we have to. It's reflected in what I think is, is, is perhaps the most powerful drosha in the entire Ish Kodesh. We have parishes by Yeshev. This is right after his son was killed, his daughter-in-law, his, sister, his sister-in-law, his mother. So he writes, he discusses the difference between Harisha, uh, a Harish, and an Ilay. Both are speechless. But Harish, he says, is someone, a Harish, someone who has something to say, but he's not able to explain it, he's not able to articulate it. An Ilay is a person who simply has nothing to say. And he writes, we have Help those who rest on the seventh day from plowing and from cutting. But he said, no, it's not referring to plowing and cutting. What's it referring to? To Harisha, those who are quiet on Shabbos. What do you mean quiet on Shabbos? What are they quiet from? They're careful not to speak about things they're not supposed to speak about on Shabbos. They're supposed to speak about Malach on Shabbos, like we do during the week. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu helped those, those not only who refrain from threshing and plowing and, and seeding, but from those who are Bechorish. They can't describe the emotions of Shabbos. They, they, they want to, but they don't have the words for it. They have such iris on Shabbos, but they can't put it into words. This is the difference between Harish and Ilmus. Harish al-Pirayv A person has a lot to say, he, he's not able to articulate a person who experiences Shabbos, but he can't put it into words. You have something to say, says to Esther. But if you don't say it, you keep quiet. Meaning, you have something to say, you better say it. Or, when Kali Yisrael wanted to dive into a Kaddish Baruch, or Kaddish Baruch, who told him, time to if you guys stand over here, about I'm going to save you, you guys be quiet. But they had something to say. He could be so broken. He, he has nothing to say. He has no hargoshes to put into words. They're simply gone. He has no brain and no heart to articulate words. That's not Harisha. That's being a mute. He, 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 he literally has nothing. He has nothing. About Yesh, this Israeli, there's sometimes, and again, this is clearly biographical, there's sometimes, this is right after he came back to giving Joshua, after that six week hiatus that he took off because of what happened in his own mind. He says, You have nothing to say, but you have to speak anyway. You're at a moment that's a low point for you. He wants to just put his head down and wait for this to pass and say nothing. I have nothing to say. Sometimes when he sees that the time requires it, he has to speak nonetheless. 
he has to say something. He says, I am also speaking amidst my inability to speak. Amidst my inability to speak. He writes in his Sava Zeros, which is his, again, his diary of his personal feelings and religious aspirations. This is right after his family, the same period when he delivered this Joshua. He says, I, I feel I can't bear this. The pain is too great. I got one son. He had such pride in his son. He had such promise. He thought it was going to be his mamshech. And his chesidus. Ish emes mufuk b'tayrach hacham b'yasha. Nigzar alay mimaram din kasha. It was exera. Din mar v'nimrar kazer roshu v'kachem e'iti b'shnaz tavshin b'machama. He says it was taken from me. V'ate gam zugasi. My daughter-in-law. And also my, my sister, Gam called Tikvas asked me, My hope, my hope is gone. The Nafshi Asher Bahem Bazel Babar Nigda. It's been trampled. It's been abandoned. Gam Ha Asid, Shali Al Yadesh Yizgabu Yisraimu. My future is gone too. Hey Begufam Benafim Rucham Neras. Gado Hashivan Abotin Asai. He says, I can't, I can't bear it. Yet at the same time, he delivered to Joshua that week. And I think that this kind of reflects that tension too. We, we can't even speak about these things. We're speechless about the things that have taken place, but at the same time, we have to find the strength to be mechanic, to reach out to Kaddish Baruch Hu. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Now, 
Your test discusses the Tzidok Hadin, which recognizes the righteousness of the Din of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and also is important in terms of recognizing our own shortcomings. Sometimes we're in denial of our own shortcomings. You mentioned on Shabbos. By us, Sin Aschinam is not an Avera, it's a, it's a Shita. I don't, I don't hate anybody like, for no reason. I have a good reason for hating you know, everyone. Who, who hates anyone for no reason? We all hate people with good reason. So we have to sometimes take a step back and recognize our, our, our reasons that we think we hate people, and which are justified, might not, <coughs> might not be so justified. We have to recognize our own shortcomings, recognize the Avera, in order to ultimately do Tshuva to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So part of the Tzidak is recognizing our own shortcomings. But at a time of Hester Panim, which is just beyond, part of what Tzidak means is accepting the Din of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, accepting it as Xero, which we don't understand. That's also part of Tzidok Hadin, accepting that this is beyond our understanding. That's something the Rebbe discussed over here in the Ish Kodesh. We've seen so much destruction. Everything we've built. They've been all cloud over until their roots. Heim binyani machalos hakshers, vehim binyani ha-shabbos mikvah, all of Shmiras ha-mitzvahs is gone. Shabbos mikvah, chedav ha-chinof b'chal. Yizoher v'yishomer shegam oz chas v'chavivo tivkom emunosan. We can't have a weakening in our emunah, b'ashem kechot ha-sayra, even one hair's breadth. Ki yisurim he-masa u-mitzvahs u-maisim toim v'yashon chukim mishpatim. This is an unbelievable distinction that he has. That just like in mitzvahs there are chukim and mishpatim, there are punishments from the Rebbeinu that are chukim and mishpatim. Mishpatim are things that we understand, or we think we understand, or there's an understandable side of it. Chukim are things that are beyond our understanding. So so he says there's things that we more anticipate that are mishpatim. That we understand. Chazal gave us reasons why the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, and we have to fix them. And the Siduk had on that. And accepting what we did was wrong. We have to fix it. But then there's chukim. There's things that go beyond our understanding. Yeshuni Yisur mishpatim shemavinu noisan. We understand the purpose of it. We have no idea what's going on. We don't understand how this is productive. Religious life is being destroyed. We see it's being destroyed. We have to understand and be macabre. That Zardin and have a there too. We have to understand have a there too. will take us out of it. And he says that's what the Pasuk means. What does it mean? Tavim tiyem Hashem Alkech, we should be perfect with Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So Rashi says, "Ishalech imoy b'smimos v'tetapeloi." We should only place our hope in Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Sachra achrei asidus. Don't put your future in the hands of fortune tellers. El kol mash yavo alecha kabel b'tmimos v'asiyah imo wachalka. Don't go after those who predict the future. Trust in Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So he says in the Sefer, my father. Why didn't Klai so listen to Moshe Rabbeinu? Because Ruach Mevay the Kasha. Ha'adarab. He said, why didn't they listen to Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu was telling them, you guys are going to get out of here. The day is coming. The Yeshua is coming. Your salvation is coming. Why didn't they listen to him? People love 
you know, when you give them a glimmer of hope, a light at the end of the tunnel, why don't they listen to them? They say, Rasma, you cheek them, you also Aside from his own terrorists, when he's in a tzara, he can't hear anything. Or maybe it's because, not because they couldn't hear anything. They didn't want to let themselves hear it. They didn't want to give themselves a glimmer of hope. You know why? Because they knew it might not come true. It's easy to grab onto glimmers of hope. It, it, it's helpful. It's easy. It's easy to buy a lottery ticket and think we're going to win the lottery and dream about how we're going to spend the money and then fight with our children what happens they're going to get and this one's going to get who's getting a trust and this one and that. That's easy. That's easy. But after you lose too many times, it takes the wind out of you and you don't want to do that anymore. So Kali so they don't want to believe in Moshe Rabbeinu. Not because they couldn't internalize it. Maybe it was too much to, you know, to bear. They don't want to let themselves believe it. Because you're going to get happy. You've been through so much. And you want to believe. You can't let yourself believe. You can't let yourself be happy. He says, I've seen this already. I've seen this in my time. People are just too broken sometimes to believe. They're too broken sometimes to believe. Even though it's for their own good, they've already been broken. They won't let themselves believe. But if we knew that it would actually come tomorrow, then we would be able to, you know, would, would get us out of our They don't see it. They're too broken, they don't see it, they don't let themselves believe it, but Harbe Aim Lahemba Melis Khazik. All they have is Yehush. What is Tamid Yevashem Okaka come to teach us? To accept sometimes the Xair of the Rebunishom. A few Ata Shavar Marusas Mikomakam. Not to put our hope in false prophets or in fortune tellers. But rather to understand sometimes that things are beyond us. That things are beyond us. And we have to trust in a Baruch Hu if they trust in the Kaddish Baruch nonetheless. In the H. Kaddish over here, Islam is Zayim. He says a, a different shot than we're used to. In the post by Yaakov Avinu, by Yakubu Kalbana Bechavanoisav Lenachemoy, they all came to console him by Yimoyim Lehisnachem. He refuses to be consoled. But the language of the Pasuk is, you see five lines in the bottom of Islam is Zayim, Yakubu Kalbana Bechavanoisav Lenachemoy, Vayimoyim Lehisnachem, he refuses to be consoled. Vayoyma ki eirid al bini avel shoyla. You're going to bring me down. I won't be able to handle it. By Yev His father cried for him. Pashup Shad is, Yaakov cried for Yosef. He couldn't handle it. He said, this is too much for me, and he didn't accept it. Nechama. However, Rashi says it wasn't him who was crying, it was Yitzchak who was crying. It was Yitzchak who was crying for Yosef, not Yaakov. Not Yaakov. Yaakov wasn't crying for Yosef. Why wasn't he crying for Yosef? And why did he refuse to accept it? Nechama? So we usually interpret it, refuse to accept the Nechama because Yosef was still alive. You don't accept Nechama for someone who's still alive. But the Eish is a different shah. What was the Nechama they were offering him? The Nechama they were offering was hope. Maybe he's still alive. Maybe he is. Yaakov said, I can't hear that. I can't hear that. Because you know what you're going to do to me? And when I'm disappointed, you're going to kill me. The disappointment will kill me when you're wrong. And maybe I'll pass away before he's ever found, which will also be too much for me to bear. So he says, you know what I'd rather do? I'll accept the Xavier of the Rebunish home as it is now. I'll accept the Xavier. Who was crying? Yitzchak. Yitzchak was crying for a different reason. Yaakov Avinu already accepted it. He already made peace. He already accepted the Tzidak Hadid. So right over here, four lines from the bottom. Perish Rashi, Yitzchak, Baruch, Baruch, Pashat, Yaakov, 
didn't want to accept the glimmers of hope. Don't give me that. He wanted to accept the Xardin. This is the Xardin, and I'll move on. Forget his son, but he'll accept the Xardin. If HaKadosh Baruch says it has to be this way, it has to be this way. But don't give me your glimmers of hope. That you don't want. What are you going to help me? If you are even they're going to calm me down. As the time goes on, and it hasn't been fulfilled, you're going to move me from this world. So part of what Tzidok Hadin is, is has duality to it. When there's mishpatim and there's kukim, there's sometimes there's a mishpat, Kishpat was punishing us for a reason, we have always have an obligation. Um, to look for things we can improve, we always have to react to things that are happening around us and attempt to do tshuva, attempt to, be, to better ourselves. That's our obligation. But part of that also has to be understanding sometimes. It's not an excuse. It can't be an excuse to do nothing. But sometimes things are beyond our control. Sometimes part of the tzidah kadin is understanding there's Rafa who's controlling the events, there's kukim, even though sometimes we don't understand. Next, we're going to say, about the Malchus. Those who give up their life for Hashem. comments about this um, numerous times throughout the Sefer. But twice on the yard side of his son, he has to wear him, he said, the second day, the second day of Sukkot. And reflects on the nature of Kiddush Hashem, of those who give up their lives on Kiddush Hashem. The first one, perhaps, to frame those who were killed during the war as Kedoshim. And those who gave up their life on Kiddush Hashem in a similar fashion to Akedus Yitzchak was the Ishkadish. She said this as Shas Meister. Today it's taken for granted. But he saw it happening in real time and he described it and framed it in those terms. And somehow a continuation of Akedus Yitzchak. Because of the Gemara in Shabbos, comes in the Pasuk Sefer Yishayahu, Ki ato avinu ki avram lo yadano v'yisrogo yikiranu atashem avinu goenu meogam shemecha. It says, Avram doesn't know us, Yisrael doesn't recognize us. That's talking about Avram Avinu and Yaakov. So Gemara continues, that lo'osid lavoi, lo'osid lavoi, Kodesh Baruch is going to come to the others. And he said, banecha chatuli, your children sinned against me. He's going to come to Avram Avinu. He said, what do you say, Avram Avinu? So Avram Avinu says, we better shalalem yimacho akdusha shemecha. Okay. 
Let them die. I'll kiss Hashem. I'll let them perish. Whatever. I can't help that. Kaddish Baruch was disappointed. So he comes to Yaakov Avinu. He says, Yaakov Avinu raised children. Sa'agidu banen. I'll have more Rachmanis. He says, Chotu, banecha Chotu. In the third line, I'm on the front of me, banish the light of me, Okay, so wipe them out. Wait later. So he says, no. He says, forget this. He says, the Sabi time of Allah, Bedar, the key Eitzel. He says, this one has no reason. The grandfather has no reason. The uh, the one who learns the child has no Eitzel. Referring to Avram, referring to Yaakov. So he says, I'm going to go to Yitzvah. So he goes to Yitzvah. Banecha Chatuli. I'm going to go in front of me, Banish Banecha? My children are not yours? Aren't they yours? At the time they said, Nas of Anisha became your children. You said, Bani Bechari Yisrael. He says, yes, but they've sinned. So he says, okay, how much have they sinned? How long does a person live? 70 years. 35 of it, he spent sleeping. That's all. So he couldn't have sinned for more than 35 years. Half of it, we spent other time uh, eating and uh, the rest of other things. He says, Sachako, how much time is left? That they have free time? 12 and a half years. That's came out there. We spent so much time in traffic. <laughs> how much time do we have already? 12 and a half years. He says, 12 and a half years? You can't handle it? He says, 12 and a half years of our labors? Okay. So he says, if you can handle it, great. If it's not in your cheshbon, I'll split it with you. That's what he says. I'll split half of those 12 and a half years and you split him. And he says, if you don't want to take any of it on your cheshbon, Yitzchak says, I sacrifice myself. Okay, this Yitzchak. That's got to be worth something. That's got to be worth something. That's saved Klaus Yisrael. The first yard said of his son. He asked, why does this conversation only happen, Lassad Lavoy? Why is the Akedah Yitzhak only good enough to save us, Lassad Lavoy? Why wasn't it good enough to prevent the Korban? Why wasn't it good enough to prevent a Holocaust? Why wasn't it good enough to prevent other Tzarek Yitzhak suffering throughout our history? Tzarek Lohoven, Lama Zerach Lassad Lavoy, Yomar Yitzhak Kaddish Baruch Hu HaKrivas. Lama Loi Omar Kei Bechorn Beis HaMikdash, Lo Bechol Tzarek Yitzhak, Sheikhap Lama Kaddish Baruch Hu, Mishum Dekrivas Nafshi. What happened to Akedah Yitzhak then? She explains. Says Ma'isa, Abba similar bottom. Yisroch was the first one to offer himself, but that set you know, more, uh, created the ability for Klal to do so as well. And every person throughout the history of Klal Yisrael that sacrifices themselves or has been killed on Kiddush Hashem is a continuation of Yisroch. And he explains because Yisroch, of course, intended to sacrifice himself, but it didn't come to fruition. Because Rahu told him, "I'll teach you don't do anything to Yisroch. So Yisroch had it the Machshava, but not the Maisa. Who fulfilled the Maisa of Kiddush Hashem of sacrificing themselves with Kiddush Hashem? Kali Yisroch throughout the Torah, and that's a continuation of Akedas Yisroch. Each one of them is a fulfillment, a continuation of Akedas Yisroch, and that's why it's only Lasid Lavoi. Lasid Lavoi, when both of these equations have been fulfilled, both Yisroch started the pattern. It was Machshava himself and Machshava not the Maisa. When Kali Yisroch fulfilled it with Maisa, that's a continuation. That's a continuation of Akedah Yitzchak. That's also spelling out Kedush Hashem in the same way as Akedah Yitzchak. He writes over here in the second yard side of his son, and he says, don't make the mistake of thinking. This is so powerful. I find it so powerful. He says, don't make the mistake of thinking that a person can only be Makadah Hashem if a person gives up his life on Kedush Hashem. But even Hagam, look over here, Oismem. Look over here, Oismem. The Yetzirah. It's the Sotan. The Sotan. Sotan look like Jesus. Big guy. He says, Oismem. 
says the Ishkadish Hagam Shasham Isa Rakba Ptiras and Vasiras Nefesh Bapel Mamish. It's not only when a person gives up his life, Akirish Hashem, Bikomokoim, Pasha Chakain, who? Bikol Hayisurim Shasayvim Yisrael. Anytime someone suffers a little bit, Chelkam Mikaikam. And a part of themselves, like a tainus is considered to be partially a carbon because miut chelbi v'dami, by sacrificing some of our blood, some of our weight, some of the you know the eating that we do, that should be considered like a carbon for a kaddish baruch even though it's only partial. When a person suffers a little bit, also, even if he's had to give it up his whole life, Hashem, that's also considered to be a continuation of a kedushitzor. And it's this way that we have to view not only the asarug and malchus who continued fulfillment of the kedushitzor. For all the Kedayishim who died, our Kiddush Hashem, throughout all the difficulties of Kuala Yisrael, not only those who literally died, our Kiddush Hashem, but even those who suffered trauma that lasted generations, we have still today, is also fulfillment of that same Kiddush Hashem of the Asaruge Malchus. Describing the Gemara of his game in the Medrash Eicha about the two children of Rabbi Ishmael who were both taken captive and died while crying in each other's arms. The comment about this Kina in the past, that of course, it discusses the death of children, which is a uh, refrain that comes up numerous times in the Kinas. It's something that is very poignant. Yeah, truly fair. 
Now I think you also see from this kina the uh, power of, of tears. They died from their crying. Umar says myself this time, this dishbook was established because Christ will cry, they cried at the time of the Miragam, tears of vanity, that wasn't necessary. And therefore, Kaddish Baruch Hu says, I need Baruch will show us it's, what, what, what is Kedai to cry about? What's not Kedai to cry about? The famous comment from Baruch HaMezhbiz, that the Gemara says that Shari Demos, even though Shari Tfilar, Ninolu, Shari Demos, Eloi Ninolu, the gates of, of tears have never been closed. So, Baruch says, if there's no, if the gates of tears are never closed, why are the gates? What are they doing there? Why do you need a gate? Let it be open. To no, to prevent the tears that don't belong. Don't belong. There's some tears that are legitimate tears, some tears that are not legitimate tears. You see the power of tears, but of course, Eskino also underscores the tragedy that occurred with many children, and many children who died. That's something the Eshkadish discusses over here, Kino Memalef, and witnessing all that they've seen. And he describes it in very powerful terms. Our Nitzchias is there, keeps the, the Jewish people going, the human race going, is Aidei Habanim. Not only the children are born to their fathers alone, teaching Torah, keeping the generations going, a Messiah of Torah. That's the future of the Jewish people. Teaching Torah is also like giving birth to them. That's why Tinochus Shabbat Rabban are treated so differently. The Anfejdish Shkinasa, the Zayar Kaddish calls them the wings of the Shkinah. That's why he says, Paro targeted the children. He threw them into the, into the Nile. And he says in our times too. Whatever we've suffered, the suffering of the children goes above and beyond it. Rarely does he crash like that. They're lost to Yiddishkeit. Because these children are the future of their parents and grandparents who are no longer here. The children are what bring them higher in the Alamis and now they have no legacy. So not only are these children lost, but if you think retroactively to all the generations who place their trust in these children to carry on the Messiah, they're lost too. Why do we mention ourselves together with our children? Because the children are extension of ourselves. Not We hear them saying, Ratava, Ratava. Rescue, rescue. We're crying out to Kaddish Baruch Hu. Kaddish Baruch Hu save us. Kaddish Baruch Hu save us. And he hears the cries of the children that were around him. 
In the diaries of the Warsaw Ghetto, you hear the scenes described with the children. I, I, I can't even read it uh, to you. It's so gruesome. And it was that reality that they lived with every morning in the winter time. Frozen children who had no shoes and no clothing. And it was something that's even more difficult to bear than everything else. And he ends off by quoting that Kemar Misech, this brachis, that Kajbrach was closes the gates of Tefillah. There is an iron gate between ourselves and the Kaddish Baruch Hu. There's Hester upon him. But why does it have to be iron? Our Tefillah can break through gates, can find the Kaddish Baruch Hu, but not if it's Barzo. It had to be thick. We can't get through it at the time of Korn Beis Hamikdash. Today is the day of Hester Pon. There's no extra tefillos. There's no slichos. There's no chavdal and brachos. No neila. Avah ba'aret tzakos ka'elu. Tzakos like this, the suffering of children. Eich chayma gam shal barzu yichol u'zchad mein lahavin. How can a metal gate hold back these tefillos? We can't understand. Halo betach lo yani yichid mitfillos. And it's not only our tefillos. Kibetach gam avoyis avisenu. Everyone is crying because this is the future of all Israel. And it's these tears of children which has the ability to break through the gates of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he writes, <laughs> No one is comforted by saying, well, look, there are some survivors. <laughs> to tell them, don't worry, either way the Jewish people will survive. Obviously the dominant for every child. <laughs> Kina Chafei is the Kina on the Crusades, which we saw as a whole license to include all Jewish tragedy in the day of Tisha B'Av is reflecting not the destruction of a specific building, but rather a time of Hester Ponim, a distance from HaKadosh Baruch which is what's represented by the Beis HaMikdash. And included in all of this, we're told, is all of the difficulties that we've suffered, not only in these specific towns and the Crusades, of course, them specifically, but all, all, all other Jewish tragedies, also included. Are also important. And we mentioned that uh, Kaddish explained there are two types of difficulties that we suffer. Some are brought upon by ourselves that are mishpatim. We understand what we have to fix. Some seem like chukim, like it's exerif mina shamayim. Ikfusu the mashiach, whatever the mashiach, however you want to phrase it, part of the plan of Kaddish How do we know what's the difference? How do we know what's the difference? So he gives us the clue. Over here in the Eish Kaddish, Eishmen base. Ubameh efshu chazik atzmoy. 
What can we do ourselves with as long as Yeshua hasn't come? What can we do? How can we lift up our spirits? It can't be because Rahu is going to distance us for so long. Can't be because Rahu is going to let us mire, you know, in this situation forever. Says we can believe in the hope in the future. What about those who are gone already? Where's where's there? You know, what what, what are we supposed to think about them? Our relatives, our friends, the Stam They're like brothers to us. My men, what can we do with everything that we've heard that's breaking our bones? The only thing we can do, we said already, we have to think that a Kaddish Baruch who is mourning above is well with us. Kaddish Baruch who is with us in Hester Panim, we can find Hashem in Hester Panim. But not only that. Not only that, not only can we find the Shem has He says, aside from those that we suffer because of our affairs, there are they're part of the plan of a There's some that Kajbrahu is with us. Kajbrahu is with us as part of the plan of the Rebbe Shalom. How do we know? So he explains the way that we know is the following. The Gemara says, Mesef is Megillah. He quotes here towards the bottom. Why would the Jewish people punish at the times and threaten at the times of Midnay Supreme? So what does the Gemara say? The Gemara says, because the Gemara never asks what the Christ would do wrong at the time of Nesach Hanukkah. Never asks. Why at the time of the Nesach Purim does the Gemara ask what the Christ would do wrong? For the time of Nesach Hanukkah, there's no question about it. No one asks. There's no Nach Pesenu Drachkenu Vidachkeru. So he explains, because at the time of the days of Purim, that Jewish community, Befrat and Shushan, was threatened. That's because of something they did wrong. It wasn't religious persecution. Haman didn't like them, whatever else. He made it his mission to annihilate the Jewish people. But it doesn't seem like it was religiously motivated. However, at the time of the days of Purim, the Hanukkah, was all of the Jewish people. It was all of the Jewish people, and it was Yiddishkeit. More HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even. It was a religious war. More than as essential threat. That's obviously. That's exerim and that they should have the ability to threaten us at that time. Therefore, the Gemara doesn't even bother asking what did they do wrong. That's part of the plan of a Baruch Hu. That's part of the Hester Pani. But each time we have a tragedy throughout Jewish history, it's mixed with both. We have to engage in the process of saying what are we going to do as a result, how are we going to improve ourselves. But ultimately, at each time, along the timeline of Jewish history, the journey into Jewish history to the uh, Geula, we have to understand also a part of this is the plan of of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. The Yitim Rishi, my name.
Which contrasts Betsaisim and Mitzrayim with Betsaisim and Yushalayim. They seem to be opposites. Betsaisim and Mitzrayim, Betsaisim and Yushalayim. It's obviously the contrast which uh, highlights this uh, Kino. But that also raises the question, what do they have to do with one another? They seem to be opposites. How are they found in the same kino? So quote in the past, uh, that is Klal Yisrael who can reach great heights in terms of what we can accomplish, but as a result of that potential, we can also sink to great depths. And it's all part of the same relationship we have with the Kaddish Baruch is that that potential brings the potential for great closeness, brings the potential for great distance. The Salevi has a similar shot in the Gemara Masech, the Samachis, that when the Rebbe, when the Tanoim saw foxes coming out of the Kuhn Beis Hamikdash, all of them were crying, Rebbe Kiva was laughing. They said to Rebbe Kiva, why are you laughing? So he said, because if there's been a fulfillment of this Nebuah, of Har Tziyot Shechamim, Shualim Hokubah, that description, there'll be a fulfillment of the Nebuah, of Yeshua Zekenim Zekenim Tushayi Yishalayim. So then the elderly, People will be able to stroll once again in the streets of Yerushalayim sometime in the future. So he saw in the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash a haftacha, a guarantee, the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. How did he know the two were connected? How did he know one of was going to be fulfilled? Must be the other one will be fulfilled as well. So the Beis HaLevi explains in his drushes. Because he knew that there are two sides of this coin in our relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. The very fact that the Kaddish Baruch Hu destroyed the Beis HaMikdash in this way, that there are foxes walking in the Makam HaMikdash, that itself guarantees that we have the same relationship with the Kaddish Baruch. We have the potential for great closeness, for great uh, kirvah salakim, because we have experienced this rikuk, because we have experienced this hester upon it. So it's because of that distance, we know that the ultimate Kaddish Baruch will bring us back. Because the two sides of the same coin, of one relationship with the Kaddish Baruch, is that great potential that ultimately brings that great responsibility, that great responsibility as well. So it's because, B'tayisi, 
Yishalayim, we know that we'll ultimately come back to have the Gula that's similar to B'tseisi Mimitzrayim. Rav Druk, Mordechai Druk, writes in the Sefer, Josh Mordechai. And there are those, of course, many, and we, we never, Chas V'Shalom, even mentioned the word judging. Many lost their Amuna in the wake of the, of the, of the, of the Holocaust. And he says, but if one wants to be a Mahman, he understands how one can be Mechazik is Amun. Who ever heard of such suffering? Who ever heard of this suffering? It, it's, it's beyond description. It's beyond precedent. And that itself is the kind of this, the two sides of the same coin. Of the B'tseisim Yushalayim with the B'tseisim Yitzrayim. The great darkness but also reflects the great light. But I, I think the Eish uh, Kodesh has its most bold Suggested throughout all of his, and again, he, 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 throughout his entire drushes, throughout these two years, he's struggling with all of these themes. Sometimes, you know, he's, he's feeling one thing, the other time feeling something else. Comes to recognition, of course, that we have personal responsibility to fix our ways, but it's the time of Hester upon him. It's exactly Kodesh Baruch, which we have to accept. But over here, in his drushes, Shmini Atzeres, he, he says it's really one and the same. The Hester upon him, the distance from a Kodesh Baruch is really the same as the closest to a Kaddish Baruch The same theme. He quotes here the Gemara Masech of Sanhedrin, which says, I see them call Nevi'im kulam oimim shira b'kol echad. Basilavoy, all of the Nevi'im are going to sing to a Kaddish Baruch in one voice. Kol tzoyfayach nasu kol yiradinu, as the Pastor says in Sefer Yishayot. What does it mean all the Nevi'im are going to sing in one voice? All the Nevi'im are going to sing in one voice. And why the Nevi'im referred to as kol tzoyfayach, tzoyfayach, those who see. So it does an lookout. Uh, it's a place where you can have a um, stop along the way and see a great panorama. Why did the Nevi'im describe it as called Tzoyfayach? Sigmar actually says in Mesef, this Megillah commenting on this description of the Nevi'im as called Tzoyfayach, that it was the Nevi'im who established the, um, the, the, uh, the end letters. The end of Mem, the end of Nun, the end of Tzad, the end of Pei, the end of Chav. All those were established by the Nevi'im. What does that mean? What's the secret of those letters? Sevilla Kodesh writes in many places. These letters represent din. Letters represent din. Represent judgment. Why? Because it's always the end of a statement. It's the same sound, the same sound the letter makes elsewhere when it's in the middle of a word. The mem, the nun, the chaf, the pei, they all sound the same in the middle of a word. At the end of the word, though, it has the same sound, but it signals the end of the word. So in that sense, it's din. It's din because it's always the end. It's always a conclusion. It's always a restricted. Din is, is, is restriction. Chesed is unbridled. Kindness, din, is restriction. Is, is, is being defined by certain barriers and borders. So this ends the words. It represents din. These letters, when they appear in the middle of the word, represent rachamim. These end the letters represented. Represented. And these neviim were the one who composed these letters. These neviim were the one who composed these letters. Even though it makes the same sound. What does it mean, less level, all the neviim are going to sing kol echad? What it means, lesser level, all the Nevi'im are going to sing kol echa, kol tzofach, not so kol yiranu, they're going to recognize the men in the middle of the word, the rachamim, and the din that comes at the end of the word, the enemim, are all the same. They're all the same. It sounds to us like they're two letters. And sometimes the Nevi'im are the ones who gave Musa to Klal Yisrael, and they told them the din is coming, and they were the ones who created the end of letters to tell us din is coming, be careful, change your ways. And sometimes they're the ones who informed us of the impending zayr of the Rebbe Shalom, that it's looming around the corner. They're the ones who told us about the end of letters. They're the ones who told us about the din. 
However, they're all going to sing in the same voice. They're all going to sing koecha, meaning all will recognize the letters in the middle, the chesed, the din, are really all one. They're all two sides of the same coin of stemming from the plan of a Kaddish Baruch and it all comes from a place of chesed, of rachman from the Rebbein Shalevim, even though we don't understand it. And it's that recognition, I think, that's reflected here in this kina of B'tzeisim, Mitzrayim, B'tzeisim, Yushalayim, is that everything ultimately is part of the same, it's coming from the same place, it's coming from that relationship that we have with the Kaddish Baruch which has these two dimensions to us, and to us now it seems like they're very distant. But ultimately, they're all the same. And he uh, continues... Um, <coughs> over here in his comments on Parsha Zohar again this is towards the end of his uh, drushes, explaining that this is something that's difficult for us to recognize but something that we have to do our best to integrate he says we're all familiar with the struggles that we have with the Yetzirah we have it there's a Yetzirah called being broken there's a Yetzirah called being depressed, Veshivran Ruach. Shalom is Chazik Bashem. We have to overcome the Yetzirah too. Hein ma'oid ma'oid kosha adaber. This is very difficult. Ki Yisurim kosha minasai. This is 1942. From 1942, he's saying we have to have a moon nonetheless. And there's a Yetzirah of being depressed. Ava bezman chanashim rami Yisrael nesrafim chayim l'shem Hashem. Nerogim v'neshchot of people dying on Kiddush Hashem rab l'shem Yehudim only because they're Jews. We have to recognize this is also coming from the Rebbeinu Shalom. The Mitzrayim, the Tzayim Shalom is all the same thing. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu was doing. Moshe Rabbeinu, when he put his hands towards Shemaim, when he was saying to guys at the time in Mohammed Hamolik, you're meeting your arch enemy Hamolik. Look towards Shemaim. Understand this is all coming from the same Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Shirot of the Cairo, someone asked me also, what does the Moloch want to do? They want to make us fall behind. Fall back. You can't go on. How can you continue? And what Moshe Rabbeinu did is he pointed to Shemayim. They wanted to fall behind. They wanted to give up. And if we do, then a Moloch can get the better of us. Moshe Rabbeinu, her anu anu. Shegam b'mochama, begam b'shosh, shegavar a Moloch. Even when a Moloch seems like they're rising. We don't see the opportunity, the possibility of Yeshua. We have to look to the Kaddish Baruch Hu. We have to look to the Kaddish Baruch Hu. We have to look to the Kaddish
battle with the Sarasho Esav. See, when it's over and he's victorious, he says, uh, so the Sarasho Esav doesn't have to leave. So he says, I'm not going to let you go unless you give me a bracha. Why does he want a bracha from the Sarasho Esav? He just did battle with him. Why does he want a bracha? Why, well, what's the purpose of a bracha now? And Dafka from him. He obviously we have recognized he's a malach, and therefore he's asking him a bracha. Okay. Why is he want a bracha? So it says, it says, because when a tzara is over, we don't just want to be safe now. We want to be better than we were before. We want to understand how this is ultimately going to be something that leads us towards the Yeshua. We can accept the Kadim. We can accept that this is part of the plan of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. But I want to be able to see how this is going to make it something that's beneficial, that's leading us towards the plan of the Yeshua, that's ultimately getting us closer to the Chavli Mashiach. And that's why he wanted a bracha. Yaakov didn't want to just be left alone by the Sar Shalesav. He says, tell me how I'm going to be better now because of this argument, because of this fight that we had. And he wants his name changed to Yisrael. I mean, he wants to be better. Not just leave me alone. Not just I should have the peace to be, you know, my quiet corner. I want to be better off. Show me how this is going to improve me. It's going to make something more. He has the same theme as well in his comments of Parshat Zachar. He says, "Ain Hashem Shalem and Akise Shalmach Yimcha Zaro Shalomoy." He says, "Why do we refer to Amalek as Zaro Shalomoy?" So he says, "Because Amalek planted seeds. They don't only really attack us. They made us weak. Now moving forward in the future, and not only that, not only what they did to us, they make us second guess ourselves." And he writes here that as a result of everything that happened now, he says, who knows if Kashrus will ever come back? Who knows if Shabbos will ever come back? They didn't have Shabbos over there where they were. He says, all these Jews are going to be lost from Tyrant. So forget about what happened now. What's going to happen, you know, the seeds of what happened, the religious malaise, is something that certainly lasted. Beyond the words well, he calls that Zaro Shalomoy. That's the seeds that they planted. And he says, yes, it's true. We don't want to just be threatened by Amalek anymore. But we want the Kisei to be Sholem now. We want it to be complete. We want to be Lachar Zara Sholemach. Everything that they planted also, not only want it removed, we want to be better off as a result of it. We want the Kisei Shal Kaddish Baruch Hu to be Sholem. We want the name of a Kaddish Baruch Hu to be complete. And maybe that's why at the end of the Kinas, we discuss the beauty of Yushalayim to help us recognize after we've struggled with all the different emotions of being in Hester Panim, that ultimately we, 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 we hope that this will lead us to a more beautiful Eretz Yisrael. That we'll be able to connect with the Kaddish Baruch with greater Gilish Kina. And that's what we describe the beauty of Eretz Yisrael, perhaps, at the end of the Kinnis. Maybe. maybe. I thought a different Machshava, also. Based on something of Cook writes, which I, I never understood. You know, always, whenever you have two words that go together, the Vilna Goyen is famous for this. Two words that we use as synonyms. And the Goyen explains what's the difference between, you know, Malucha, Manshala. You know, all those, the guy has a lot of you know terror about explaining what the difference of connotation is between two synonyms. So, if Cook comments over here, his comments on the Gemara itself is brachis. The Enayah is all his comments on the Agathas of Shas. What's the difference between Tzion and Yerushalayim? Well, all of a sudden now referring to the beauty of Eretz Yisrael, Tzion. Tzion has to do with, with beauty. We understand that it has the words Yavan in it. Yavan has to do with external beauty. Yerushalayim is also externally beautiful. But w- w- what is the difference between Tzion and Yerushalayim? So he says, Sion has to do with, uh, they're both referred to, right, but Sion is the external place. So Yushalayim is the external city. 
that ultimately will be a hub, right, for all of the nations. All of the nations of the world are going to recognize Yushalayim. It's the biggest disputed city, the holy city. Everyone recognizes the godless of Yushalayim. That's the external city. What does Tzioin represent? But what is Tzioin? Tzioin has to do with Tur Am Levada Tzioin refers to Klal Yisrael, our own identity. It's more internal. It has to do with Yushalayim means to the Jewish people. It has to do with our identity as Jews. And even perhaps if Yushalayim has been destroyed, Tzioin remains. And that's what it means. Kimi Tzioin Teitzei Torah. Sion refers to the internal learning of Torah, to the internal identity of the Jewish people. It's going to get amplified to the world from Yushalayim. But Sion represents that core uh, connection to the Torah that's unique to the Jewish people. But it's more internal. It's not something that's external. So maybe, what the Kinos here are alluding to is, if that's the connotation of Sion, is that, yes, the external Yushalayim has been destroyed, but the ember of the Jewish people lives on. The ember of the Jewish people, Tzion, Kimi Tzion, Teitzei Torah, that internal connection to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, the process that has to put him properly lives on, lives on, and that's somewhat of an echama, and that's why we talk about the beauty of Yushalayim, not the external beauty, the internal beauty of Klal Yisrael that's represented by the Kimi Tzion, Teitzei Torah. The last piece we'll see in the Eish Kodesh, he comments about what is the achrayas of survivors. What is the Akhrayat of survivors? Which a little bit is our Nechama. What is our Nechama? Nechama is, I'm going to say, Nachim and Mincha, because Rachel took out his anger on Eitz and Vavonim, and not on the Jewish people themselves. It's the Nechama. What's the Nechama? What Nechama do we have? If there's such a catastrophe we suffered not so long ago, is it? Jewish people survived. That's, that's our Nechama. That's our Nechama. The Nechama is that we're here. We made it through this conflict of Jewish history. And we're here. But that comes with a certain measure that comes with a certain measure of our Christ. We're the Tzion. We're the Tzion. And I think that's what the Kinos are teaching us. We're the ember that has to rebuild the third base of Mikdash. That comes with the He writes over here, after a typhus um, epidemic that wiped out the remaining population of Wasagel, that he was able to make it through. And he has a, um, a heading to this Tavar and told us, Shnaz Tov Shem Beis. La'achar sherichem Hashem v'ripo oisi v'eschosni I gave this Joshua after I was saved. He said, can I praise the Kaddish Baruch Hu now? Should I be praising the Kaddish Baruch Hu now or not? And he quotes, there's actually a tshuva, and a tshuva smimamakim, about someone you know, who was saved from Yeshua in the middle of the war. He was saved, many others perished. Should he say, you know, Ben Shkaimo and all these things. He says, Rabbi Marimu Menafshi and Yeshua Saloi Be'lukim Selah. He says, many say to themselves, Ain Yeshua Saloi Be'lukim Selah. There's no Yeshua. What does Selah mean? Oh, uh, there is a Yeshua in the Kaddish Baruch Hu, Selah. What is Selah? Selah means, you know, Ba'ed. means eternally. V'nami ma'ha perush al teva Selah. Kan hugashim va'ed. It means it will continue on. V'aydai rabim o'yimu nafshi en Yeshua so lo'i be'elohim. People will tell you that there isn't Yeshua in the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Why Selah, though? The passage continues, V'ata Hashem ha'gein ba'di, k'vadi merim o'shiga Hashem Again, Selah. What is this Selah? Why is this the continuity here important? We said we didn't understand these two until now. We've seen so much devastation. 
אז גם איש שהשם הושיע, even those who have survived, and it's funny, again, how he's speaking as a survivor, but he's speaking to us, perhaps, who have survived. שהשם הושיע לו, ויחי מצרוסו ונשרף ומאכלוסו, אין לו לב לשמח בשורוסו. He doesn't want to be happy about his Yeshua, but Chayshin Beliboy, Haloyim Esmeth, but Chayosi, I'll be happy now that he made some life. Lechol Chorben Yisrael. What about all the other Jews who perished in the, in the epidemic? Ulechol Hamoyne Anshem Nosham Metavsh, Ayelam Lichyos, Ayishanam Rabos, Va'atam Amoyim Kolkachas Kibrei Adomos. They could have lived so many years, and now they're filling graves. Kiu Yodu Chaim Shoelo. But besides that, he says, you never know what lies around the corner for us. So how can we be happy? How can we, you know, sing to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, knowing that, you know, maybe the next time we won't be so lucky. He says, we've seen this cycle many times. There are those who were saved, and then ultimately, the next time they weren't saved. The next time they weren't saved. Even those who have been saved. They're happy. After that, they passed away from famine. He doesn't know. He doesn't know should he be happy. He doesn't know what he should do. That's the guy who the Pesach is talking to. There's so many Tzoros. Others have suffered. I might suffer in the future. You don't know. Still? Still? Despite all of that, you have to sing to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They're saying that they're, they're going to fall into our hands. They said they have no hope forever. They're saying to us, don't, you have no Yeshua. They're saying to us, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not going to save you. Forever. There's a constant cycle of events that are going to get you. And therefore you can't be happy. But we say no. We say even though there is an endless cycle of Tzoros that lie, anti-Semitism has no end. Unfortunately, Ace of Sinaius Yaakov is an endless cycle of Tzoros that Kalei suffers. Nonetheless, we have, we talk in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What should we do then? What's our, our, what should be our, our obligation? We have to continue to bless HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They say there's a constant cycle of events that are going to get you, and we have to constantly sing to HaKadosh Baruch Hu you know, to battle it back. Even if it's a small victory, we have to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We have to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But what's the real Shira? The real shira is when we serve a Kaddish Baruch Hu with the Torah and the mitzvahs. The pasuk says, "Az Yosher Moshe." They sang to Kaddish Baruch Hu to create Yamsuf. The next pasuk, "Zakeli ve'anveu asafano asnal lefano b'mitzvahs." How do we sing to Kaddish Baruch Hu? How do we praise our Kaddish Baruch Hu by performing the mitzvahs lochem? And here he gives a charge to those who survived, and I believe he's speaking to future generations. Mishim akabo atzmo teisefes avoyderak be'in yenechon as mam shechol Yeshua gamke be'in yenechon v'atzol mitzvah achas. Avo ish shenito mitzvah. A person who's a survivor. Without Yeshua, I wouldn't be here. We also have to accept. greater. And he says, it's not enough to do one thing. Why? Because 
there's an endless cycle of events that our Loyalino Khasfashalam could be visited upon us. So in order to battle it back, we have to accept upon ourselves an endless cycle of mitzvahs. Not only to do one thing, to change our whole lives to be to the service of a Kaddish Baruch in a greater degree. Everything belongs to a Kaddish Baruch in our service of the Rebbe Nishalayim. And that's a great achrayas, that those who survived, the Tzion, the ember of the Jewish people, how much more do we have to serve a Kaddish Baruch as a result of, uh, of this responsibility that we bear and to, to rekindle the fires that were ultimately build, the base of Mikdash was destroyed in fire, the third base of Mikdash will be rebuilt through fire, through the fire of our commitment to the Torah of the Mitzvahs and recognizing the responsibility that we have.